everybody, and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And today's episode is with my new friends, Ezra Ward Packard and Benjamin Plater and Stephanie Hall. This is kind of a two-in-one episode. So let me break it down for you real quick. Essentially, we have Ezra and Ben, who are two buddies crossing America on their bike going west to east. And Stephanie Hall lives in Austin. She put them on my radar. So we all met up in her apartment to palaver. And then we also brought Stephanie on to talk with Ezra towards the end of the episode to talk about riding bikes and bike touring and bike packing. And we even talk about road racing and crit racing and all kinds of stuff with type 1 diabetes. Ezra was actually on Team Nova Nordisk, which is a pro road cycling team where all of the athletes have type 1 diabetes. So it was a great opportunity to talk diabetes, give some tips to anyone who um, has type 1 diabetes and wants to get outside on their bikes, get outdoors. Let's not have this be a barrier. So we had both of them share their thoughts and some tips and tricks and their experiences with riding with type 1 diabetes, which was really great. And I hope that a lot of people find value in that segment of the podcast. Um, going back to the bike tour, one neat thing is that they're currently at the end of their ride. Um, I believe they're in Florida and they're their last day will be the day that this episode comes out, which is Wednesday, I believe. I just texted Ezra. I haven't heard back. He's probably busy riding his bike, um, but I'm pretty sure that that they're going to be riding their bikes still when this comes out. So just wanted to give those guys a shout out, wish them happy roads. I've been following along their, their journey on Instagram, and after we met, Ben started to have some um, some knee pains, but I know that they've pushed through and I know that they're making good time. Uh, maybe it would be cool to have them come back on until, you know, the second half of their trip as maybe a bikes or death after party episode or something. So, but one thing that I thought was really kind of cool about their story is each of them, Ben and Ezra approach cycling very differently. They're two buddies who wanted to cross America on their bikes together, but Ben is taking a, you know, more touring, more leisure approach. And Ezra is currently training for the Tour Divide and looking at this as an opportunity to put in some base miles. And so he's hitting a little bit harder. And them being able to find their balance was an interesting dynamic. Um, and I think that is probably relatable to a lot of us who ride with faster partners. If you're the slow one, if you're the fast one, whatever, um, that's a that's just one of the challenges with riding. It's difficult to find people who are exactly, um, you know, your same VO2 max or endurance and I don't know, whatever, same blood alcohol level. <laughs> so anyway, great conversation. And when I listened to this one back, I found myself laughing uh, quite a bit. I think it was a very enjoyable conversation. Needless to say, it will be plainly obvious that I thoroughly enjoyed meeting all of them. Uh, I appreciate their time. And uh, let's get to the episode so you can enjoy it too. But first, let us thank the people that made this episode possible. 
you know that it's just little old me here in my podcasting studio, aka little room in my house. And this is a community that we're building here, and it does take a village. So um, we appreciate very much all the help and support that we get. And I say we, but it's me, so that I get here over at Bikes for Des. So without further ado, let's uh, show some appreciation for our newest sustaining patrons. First with Bradley Cordero, Nick Marzano, Gavin Bailey, and Nemo Sandoval. Appreciate y'all signing up. And if you would like to join them, you can find out how over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. And today's episode is also brought to us with support from Mulberry Gap. Kate Gates, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Patrick. Last time we had you on, we talked about the Trans North Georgia, which is a great route right outside your front door. But there's also another great route that people can access right out the front door of Mulberry Gap, which is the Cahutacat. What can you tell us about this route? Yeah, it is uh, about a 300-mile route uh, that basically does a figure eight starting and ending at Mulberry Gap. So it kind of kicks you in the teeth pretty quickly. The first 20 or so miles uh, will take you a lot longer than you think that it should. And it's usually a bit deflating for folks. But after that, it really turns into a really gorgeous and and glorious ride through uh, the northern part of Georgia and then the southeastern part of Tennessee uh, for about the first day, day and a half, uh, maybe even two days, depending on your pace. Uh, And then it kind of does a big loop around Blue Ridge. So once you get out of the Ocoee Whitewater Center uh, in Tennessee, you'll make your way to Blue Ridge where you can stay in a hotel if you want. You can also do some some camping in the National Forest around there and then do a big loop uh, that brings you right back to Blue Ridge. And then you take a mixture of different gravel roads, pavement, and some some single track to make it back to Mulberry Gap. Um, so it's a, about 33, 34,000 feet of climbing in that 300 miles. Um, and it's got some really, really pretty scenery, plenty of climbing, a good mixture of single track, gravel roads, and and some pavement as well. Yeah. And this is another route that's published on bikepacking.com that people can look up. Um, One thing I thought was really interesting that if somebody did want to ITT this route, what is the entry fee? It is free, except you have to bring a cat patch. So Cahutta Cat was, the route itself was named after our resident cat, Cohutta Cat, uh, who is about eight years old now and has quite the reputation of being your typical cat. Um, but he's just got a really fun personality. And Daniel Jesse, who created the route, um, was kind of inspired by him and, and decided to name the route after him. So a lot of folks, the first year, it just became a tradition where you bring a patch. And if you complete the route in its entirety, you get to take a patch home, whether it be the one that you brought or one that another rider brought. And it's basically on a first come first serve basis. So we've had quite a few really entertaining patches show up over the years, and it's uh, it's been a pretty fun part of the tradition of riding the the route. I'm not going to lie. Getting one of those cat patches makes me want to do the route. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I love it. 
Now, I mean, I think if I was going to do this, I would probably want to go and and rent a cabin at Mulberry Gap and then ideally leave my car there, ride the route, and then have another cabin whenever I get back to kind of decompress. Do y'all work with bike packers like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of folks do that. They'll, they just want to keep their car somewhere safe, especially if they're traveling from out of state or out of town. That's a pretty good distance away. Um, so people will either camp or stay in a cabin and depart pretty early in the morning of the ride. And then as they make their way back, they'll also rent a space on that end. And then you can also do meals with us. So breakfast, lunch, or dinner, just reservations are needed in advance. But we've got those available most days of the week. And if you happen to show up on a day where we are not offering those services, at the very least, we do have a retail store with some some snacks and, as always, uh, delicious cold beer. Amen. Where can people go to find out more about Mulberry Gap? Yeah, mulberrygap.com is our website. um, And that's the best place to get more information and reach out to us. Wonderful. Thanks for coming on, Kate. And dear listeners, please check the show notes and I'll include information on the Cahuta Cat route and how you can contact Mulberry Gap and book your next stay. Okay, and next up, we got Cameron here from Wren Sports. Thanks for coming on today, Cameron. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Always a pleasure. Listen, man, but beyond bike products, y'all are embedded and really motivated to help build and grow this segment of bikepacking and adventure sports or adventure bikepacking. You know, and I I heard recently that y'all have a new initiative to specifically help women-owned bike shops. And I was wondering what you could tell me about that. Yeah, we definitely want to get as many people in the outdoors as possible. And we recognize that um, Outdoor Rec has kind of been, uh, certainly been skewed over the history of outdoor recreation in the West. We have launched uh, a pilot program up here in Anchorage, where I live, um, that we'd like to look at expanding in other parts of uh, the world. And what that looks like is um, we have a a couple of women-owned bike shops in Anchorage, including a shop called The Dirt House, which is a suspension-specific shop. Uh, And what we've done is we've teamed up with uh, women-owned bike shops and service centers to open a a RIN Sports Service Center where when you buy a RIN Sports product from a women-owned bike shop, we use the women-owned mechanic shop, the suspension shop, to install those products. So basically, uh, we help incentivize you shopping at a female-owned bike shop by offering free installation. So this is a pilot program going on in Anchorage, Alaska, but we'd like to expand it and are looking for partners elsewhere. So if you are a bike shop owner, female bike shop owner, or you know one in your community and think that they would be a great partner for us, we're looking for partners to help uh, get more uh, diverse population on bikes. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, I'll echo that if there's any female-owned shops that want to hit up or in sports. One thing that I've appreciate about you guys, and I've said before, is that you're not just making great products, but you're also trying to be members of this community and find ways to to grow it, to support it. And that goes beyond just making great parts. So it's great to have you guys as a partner and appreciate what you guys are doing uh, in the bikepacking industry. Any of your listeners can feel free to reach out to me. It's Cameron, that's a common spelling, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, at 
rinsports.com. So if you've got leads on potential partners as we grow this pilot program, just drop me an email. We'll start a conversation and um, we'll get you hooked up. Awesome. Thanks, Cameron. Yeah, you're welcome. Have a great one. All right, everybody. I am excited about today's episode. So let's not delay. Let's get right to it. And let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Yes, this is how you start a podcast. You uh, crack a beer. So just to kind of set the stage for our listening audience and uh, yeah, just kind of paint a picture real quick. We got Ezra and Ben who are on a some kind of a bike trip. I don't I don't know all the details. Uh, And Stephanie here, um, we're in her apartment in Austin messaged me because they were looking for a place to stay. They're they're riding through Bryan College Station, which is my hometown and where I live. And tomorrow's my birthday. I turned 42. I know I look great. Thank you. But uh, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, I was planning to be gone. I was supposed to be bikepacking at Big Bend. But last minute, the weather turned to shit. And uh, that freed up my weekend. And now y'all aren't riding bikes because the weather turned to shit. So... We all decided to just hang out and, uh, well, yeah. It's like Record a podcast. Let's, let's just talk about bikes and stuff. Why not? <laughs> so, Ezra, what do you want to start? The only thing I know, and, and like I was saying to you, I love, I really enjoy coming in a podcast almost completely blind. I know your name. I know what it says on your Instagram profile that you're a semi-professional or retired semi-professional road cyclist. I prefer washed up. Washed, washed up. up. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I'm... Yes. Not retired, washed up. Now that's relatable. Yeah. <laughs> and I know uh, Ben, because he's been in your Instagram stories, is your traveling companion. Um, yeah. So uh, we're down. Oh, and, and it's also worth noting that we're down to one microphone. So I'm used to having more mics and making the facilitating the conversation a little bit better. But since we don't, we're going to probably just like I'll talk to you and then like pass it off a little bit. Sounds good. Cool. So, I guess let's start with the washed up road cyclist part. Yeah. So, from 2000, what would that be? 2013 to 2015, I raced for Team Nova Nordisk Development. Um, I'm a type 1 diabetic. If you don't know, Team Nova Nordisk is an all diabetic cycling team. Um, Their mission is to inspire, educate, and empower those with type 1 diabetes. Patrick is spilling beer on himself no, right now. That is that is not true. Ben, edit that shit out right now. <laughs> yeah, so I raced for them for three I, years. I am familiar yep. with the team. That, that, that's yep. pretty sick. Um, yeah, very yeah. cool team. Um, again, I was on the development team. So they are a pro-continental team, which is kind of that second tier in the professional road scene. Um, so there's the, the whole, tw- the whole team is in that second tier. 
Nope. So there's a, when I was on the team, there were a few different tiers, right? So there's the professional team, which is like one tier below the teams that are in the Tour de France. And then I was on the development team, which is like the feeder team to that team. I like to say it's kind of like minor league baseball, right? I was a triple A minor league cyclist for the pro team. So in my mind, I was never a professional cyclist. That's why I say semi-professional cyclist. Like I got paid some money, not a whole lot, but I raced for three years, crits, road races, went to Europe a few times and raced. Um, And then at the end of my time with Novo, that's when I... You're good. Yeah. Um, I don't know how long you want me to just keep just, on rambling. Yeah, just, let's just talk. <laughs> if you say dumb shit, we just cut it out anyway. So. <laughs> you can say anything you keep want. Keep it all in. Keep it all in. No, no so we I don't be, cut very much. I'm just, I mean, I don't know. sometimes like conversations will go on like, like crazy tangents and yeah. add absolutely anyway, but no, we don't really cut much out. <laughs> Yeah, so at the end of those three years, kind of just super burnt out on the road racing Wait, scene. How old were you when you got into it? So I joined the team right out of high school. So I actually graduated high school uh, semester early, joined the team in January, went to my first training camp. It was literally like took my final physics exam and got on a plane and flew to Italy for my first training camp. So yeah. it was like straight into it, raced on that raced for Novo until I was 20, 21. Um, and then the next year I started college in Northfield, Minnesota, where I eventually got a bike shop job at Downtown Bicycles. And that's where I met Ben, who Inter- is my ben. boss. So Ooh, dun, dun, how do you like dun. that transition? Hey, that is a great transition. Yeah. And then we'll get into how you, because next I want to hear about how you got it from road cycling into bikepacking. But that was such a good segue Inter Ben into the conversation. So Ben, you were his. Uh, he, you were the boss. Yeah, that's a loose term. <laughs> you know, we were we're a shop of like five employees during the summertime. Uh, so I am the service manager, and Ezra was my lead mechanic. What? Where was this at? This is in Northfield, Minnesota. Okay. Um, just like forty minutes south of the Twin Cities. Okay. Yep. So what do you do? Uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, mostly I'm working on the bicycles, but being such a small shop, if we're busy, it's a Saturday, I'm expected to be out on the sales floor, all that kind of stuff. So you're still, you're still doing the the bike shop. Yeah. It's my full-time gig. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Rad. So when did y'all first meet? I guess it's been a while. I don't know how old you are, so I can't put college into, you said 21, 2017. Okay. So when did you guys get into like adventure, you know, cycling, bike packing, bike touring? Were you, have you been into it for a while? So I was a very casual cyclist, like through college and stuff. Um, I did a little stint in Florida where I didn't have a car. I just rode my bike everywhere. Um, so that was like the real dive into cycling for me. But it was definitely... M- less recreational at that point more just transportation honestly um then i bounced around a little bit uh, there's a ride in iowa called ragbri oh, i don't yeah. know if you're familiar with it yeah the podcast interviewed me the people that put it on sick can't remember the name of the podcast but yeah yeah so uh, i 
I had done RAGBRAI once with my mom, actually, when I, the year after I graduated high school. And it's basically a party on a bike. I'm Absolutely. not too familiar with it. And it goes uh, state line to state line, party on a bike kind of deal. Yep. River to river, full on party. A lot less about the biking, more about the partying. Def- define the partying. So it's, it's such an important part. Like, yeah. What are we talking? So, I mean, when when you finally wake up for a day of RAGBRAI, it, it's always late. You sleep in because you're hungover. And then you jump on the bike and you probably don't make it out of the town you slept in before you stop at a bar. And typically you have like a Bloody Mary or something because it's still morning time. So you got to have breakfast. And then you ride to the next town, which is usually 10 to 15 miles away. Uh, and then <laughs> you continue to drink. And uh, if the next town is further than that, we usually bring beer with us for a roadside stop because the, the guys you ride with, they, they don't, they don't want to go that far. So the, the group, you know, we, we sometimes pull a trailer. So one of us young, young pups, uh, okay, there's, there's so much to the story. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the team I ride with is called the Old Dogs. It's a bunch of old men, essentially, riding bikes. Uh, we go very slow and we drink a lot of beer. So there, there's the young pups, which is essentially my brother and I. And there's been a few that have trickled in as well, but uh, they make us pull the trailer full of beer on those longer stints <laughs> <laughs> so that we Anything can just have- past 15 miles is long. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so that we can stop and, and have a roadside beverage until we get to the next town. And then they have call times in each town because Regbri shuts down entire highways. No cars allowed. Uh, so it's all operated by the police there and everything. Uh, but then they want to keep people moving along. So they'll shut down the town at a certain time, which everybody knows. And then you have to get on your bike and you have to move along. So they, they kind of kick you out to keep things going so okay. that they can continue to open up roads again behind us. Um, Do they have like a drunk tank back there and they start throwing people in after a period of time? <laughs> so if you're a, re- like a if you're a registered rider, there is a sag wagon. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And uh but it it's all very supported. It's not bike packing by any means. Yeah. Um so we we always had a driver who was driving an RV and if if the day was getting late enough, long enough, we'd call in what we call an airstrike. And all that meant was the RV <laughs> was going to meet us on route. <laughs> we were going to load up all our bikes. I love that. And, uh, and get to the end town. Again, it sounds way cooler than it actually is. It's bailing out. And you're like, boys, call on the airstrike. We need the airstrike. And all you're doing is calling mommy to come pick you up. Exactly. Because it's not about the biking at all. Yeah. Nope. That, that's just a, a means to get to the next party. <laughs> I love it. How far is uh ra- is it Ragbra? Ragbri. Ragbri. Yep. Uh it usually ends up being about 500 miles for the week. Oh geez. Yeah. So how many beers per mile? <laughs> Several. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. You had me until you said 500 miles. Now it's sounding kind of torturous. No, no, no. It but you get a whole week to do it. Okay. So you're, and you can call it an airstrike. And, at, at any time. <laughs> so really, I'm back. You <laughs> right. got me back. <laughs> if you wake up in the morning and it's raining, odds are the team's not rolling out. 
We're just going to stay on the <laughs> RV and ride and get a ride to the next town. Yeah. Only crazy people ride in the rain. So that was your introduction to, to what? So essentially the way the story goes, I was actually in Waco, Texas, hanging out with my sister. And uh, my brother called me up and said, hey, I got, I got some buddies. They invited us to join the rag ride team, the old dogs. Come on up. And so I, I knew I had to get back to Minnesota. I couldn't stay in Waco forever. So I, uh, I just drove from Waco to Iowa with my bike on the back, jumped on my bike, which my bike at the time was the bike I was riding in Florida. It was a, it's a Fuji Feather, which is a fixed gear. So I did RAGBRAI fixed, which is just stupid, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's all I had. Ride what you brung. And then I, after RAGBRAI, I continued up to Minnesota where my folks were living so I could live in their basement like every, every young man does after college. Uh, <laughs> At least nowadays, yeah. <laughs> that, that's right. So uh, I was riding the, the high of bicycles and I was looking for a job because I needed to make a little bit of money. Um, and so the local bike shop in Northfield was hiring a mechanic. And so I just went in and asked for a job and that's how it happened. Nice. And it's been, now you're in like a pandemic uh, yeah. with bike shortages and, it, right. and all that fun stuff. How were you able to leave? How long is y'all's total trip? So uh, we're trying to do it in 30 days. Okay. Um, we actually planned this trip last January was the plan. Um, but with COVID raging at that time, we said, yeah, that's not going to work. And so that's what pushed it back to this year. Um, I don't know if you know about the bicycle industry, but it slows down in the wintertime, especially if you're in Minnesota. Really? Like fat biking and stuff? There's not a, a there's market? Some, there's some fat bikers, but I mean, there, there was no need for me to be there. It's just the best time for you to plan a trip like this. Exactly. Basically. This is when I can get away. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's just hard to get away from. I'm always curious, like how people get away from work. Yeah, get away from work. It's most of them are, are teachers or work in their van. Yeah, 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 or something along those lines. Oh, this this was something I really wanted to do. And Tom, the boss, boss, the real boss. He's been super cool and very flexible about all this. And I'm sure he's lonely working <laughs> this month all he's by like, himself. But uh, he's like drunk texting at night. He's like, so when are you coming he's back? He's holding again? the fort down. <laughs> all right, sounds good. Well, I want to. You want to? Uh, I want to hear how you got into uh, this this crazy stuff. So after pro, so you're washed up. You are no longer doing the pro semi pro stuff. Yeah. So I moved back home. Um, that season ended in about September and I moved back home. I thought I was going to continue racing on the road, just kind of independently went and did like one or two local races in Wisconsin. And it's just like, honestly, it just wasn't fun anymore. I just needed a break from the road racing, like road racing, especially is just a grind. It's so competitive these days that it really is like all consuming. Um, your whole life is just road racing and managing your weight and your training. And it was just too much. So that summer, um, I signed up for a half marathon, started running a little bit, reapplied to schools. Um, I had applied my senior year before the Novo contract kind of came into the picture. So reapplied to schools, 
that was like the previous fall, but I got into Carleton, Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota. So I knew I was going there. Um, and then in the fall, I moved to Carleton kind of with plans to, you know, just like continue riding my bike. Like I was still going to local group rides in Wisconsin and just riding and like trying to have fun. Um, and one of the kind of unexpected, one of the unexpected things about Northfield, Minnesota was that there's really no good roads to ride on. It's all gravel. Where in Wisconsin, because of the dairy industry, all the rural farm roads are paved over. So we have like, where I am in southeastern Wisconsin, there's no gravel roads. Total opposite in Minnesota, where there are thousands upon thousands of miles of just really awesome, fun gravel roads. So if you're riding, it's got to be on gravel. Started riding on gravel. You know, at first I was riding my CAD 10 road bike with 28 C tires and getting flats constantly. My first bike packing trip was on a uh, carbon Cannondale Damani with 28 C tubeless loaded to the max going over gravel. Totally fine. Love it. Just know? a little more adventurous. Yeah, exactly. Gotta pick those lines <laughs> between rocks, but it's fine. <laughs> Yep. So I started riding gravel more, um, just because that's what was available. Um, and then just passing through my like student center in college, I saw a poster for a company, um, that was hiring trip leaders, like summer trips. Um, it's called Apogee Adventures. They lead bike touring trips, hiking trips, service learning trips for teenagers over the summer. And I was like, that seems like a great job to have over the is summer this the one in arizona nope so this okay. it's a uh, based out of brunswick maine um there's two kind of popular companies apogee's one and then overland is the other one um and my buddy implied for one in arizona and i okay. know you said you're you're in arizona yep. now so yeah so they it's uh just for kids and teenagers okay gotcha. um so that first summer i led two bike touring trips racks panniers from freeport maine to quebec city with kids that were ages it was uh 12 to 16 and then the next year the next summer i led a cross-country trip from charleston south carolina to san diego with a little bit older of kids and then i did that same trip the next year and so that was kind of my introduction to a longer form of riding right like i had never really bike toured or bike packed before yeah. started doing these trips and absolutely fell in love with it. Like it was, I loved it. It was great just to spend, you know, the trips that I was leading were 42 days long and you're just living off the bikes. Um, Whoa. we didn't really camp 42 days. 42 wow. days. Yep. <clears throat> um, would y'all have support vehicles and stuff on usually there's some kind of, yep. So the first year there were two groups. So it's me or Two co-leaders, a group of kids, usually nine to 12 kids. That first year, there were two of those groups and we were like a day apart and there was one support vehicle that bounced back and forth between the two groups. And then the second year, it's all dependent on how many kids sign up. The second year, it was just one group and so we had a designated support vehicle. Yeah, I got you. So uh, tell me about this trip that y'all are on now. What... Yeah, what is it? Are you doing it? the Southern Tier? Kind of. <laughs> so I know that the Southern Tier exists. I don't actually know how much of our route has been on the official Southern Tier route. Some of it has. Um, our first night, we rode from San Diego to Acatillo, California, and pulled into an RV park. 
honestly planning to just sleep in one of the RV slots, knocked on the host's door, and they were like, oh yeah, take the rec room. And so we walk over to the rec room and there's like a Southern Tier sticker on the door. And I was like, oh, I guess we're on the Southern Tier. <laughs> um, so the trip is- Here's your sticker. What? Instead of here's your sign, here's your sticker. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> so the trip is, we're going uh, San Diego to Daytona Beach, Florida. Why Daytona Beach? Because it's close to airports. And we're like, yeah, let's finish in Daytona Beach. It's a little bit more exciting to finish there than it is to finish in Jacksonville. Yeah. And then in terms of the route, I'm using Strava heat maps. I kind of just pull out my phone and start drawing a line. It's like, if it's super bright, I'm like, there's a bunch of people who ride there. So it must be a good road. <laughs> um, there's another app called iOverlander. Yeah. Um, it's for like backcountry camping spots. Yeah, I use that all the time. Yep. I live in a van, so I use that just to find spots when I'm traveling. Yeah. Um, and I've used that to kind of just map out our route. So I pull that up and I'm like, okay, we're at about a hundred miles a day. Where are we going to sleep tonight? And I planned this out a little bit before we hit the road, but at the same time, it's changed a lot like throughout the course of the trip. <laughs> so wh whose plan was this? Your, is this your idea? I think it was mutual. Like Ben wanted to do it and I was like, totally down to do it. And honestly, that's kind of like how Ben got into this more like longer intense stuff than rag ride was like, because of me, like when I was working at the bike shop, I was always looking for the local gravel events to go to. And I was like, Ben, let's go do this ride. That's, you know, 76 miles long. Um, a really popular gravel route that, or race that no longer exists. One of the original gravel races is the Almanzo. Yeah. So that was one that, did we do that together? I don't think we actually did that one together. I did that by myself, but <laughs> there's a whole bunch of like, honestly, small grassroots gravel events that no one has ever heard of in Minnesota that are great. So we would just like go to those sorts of things. And I think that's how Ben got a little bit more intense. You know, he went from his fixie bike <laughs> to actually having like a gravel bike and, you know, tubeless setup and carbon and got a little bit more into it. So where are y'all's bikes? Who's is who's? <clears throat> so I'm on the bomb track hook EXTC and then Ben is on a Trek 520. Oh, nice. And honestly, we're we're on the same trip. We're kind of doing different things on this trip. It's very different <laughs> setups. It's very, I'm, I'm still in that like racer mindset. I'm planning on doing the divide this summer. And so I'm like, these are base miles for the divide and kind yeah. of have a divide set up 40 pound bike. And Ben's, Ben's cruising. Ben's got <laughs> panniers. Ben's got two suitcases strapped to his rack. He's having a good old time. We make it work. We make it work. But if you look at our bikes so next to each other, it's like, what is going on here? How like does this work? Kind of race training. And Ben's just like hanging on. <laughs> it is a great combination of training camp and bike tour. We're having a lot of fun, but we're also 30 days across the country. It's pretty fast. Like yeah. when we run into other, we've ran into two other groups that are bike touring. Well, one lady who was going from New Orleans to San Diego, and this was like the second part of her trip last, a few years ago, she did Florida to New Orleans and she's taken three, four months to get out to San Diego. And then we also ran, same day, ran into a family, husband, wife, probably 11 year old daughter. 
and then a kid who the dad was pulling in a stroller and they had been on the road for seven months. That's awesome. And especially the lady, she saw my setup and was like, what are you doing? Because I have a 40 pound bike and you know, no rack bike packing setup. I have aero bars, a power meter. It's like, this is not your traditional bike touring setup. I don't she know. had a hundred pounds of stuff. I love it. I think it's great. I love a nice, gonna, fast, snappy bike. Yeah, it's if you're awesome. gonna go fast. Um, that looks like it'll get it done. I mean, it just depends on what. Yeah, how really how fast you're going, and how much time you want to spend out there, and how much stuff you want to carry. But if you're going fast between towns, you can always just resupply as you go. Exactly, and you know Ben's keeping up. It's not like I'm dropping Ben every once in a while. I'll go up the road for <laughs> thirty minute tempo session, but we're finishing a. At the same time, we ride together most of the day. So, all right, Ben, hop back on. Let, let's hear your side of that. <laughs> sure. But I, but I don't know either of y'all. I've only mm-hmm. seen like uh, you sent me a message a few days, I don't know, five days ago. Stephanie did. And um, I started following uh, your stories. And you're, you're like, we're having a great time. <laughs> Everything's wonderful. And then he pants to Ben and Ben's like, I, I don't, I, are we? This is. This is new information. No, I, and, but I don't know. I was like, maybe you're just like fucking around, you know, and like being silly in the video, or or, or what the dynamic is there. But yeah, no, there there's definitely some truth to that. Uh, I would consider myself a casual cyclist. Um, Ezra's training to win races, and I am riding my bike. Yeah, uh, so um, it. It has been a struggle at times to keep his pace. Um, he definitely pushes me more than I would be doing if I was out here alone. But I think he also stops and smells the flowers a bit more because he sees how much fun I'm having just touring across the country and uh, not taking myself too seriously. Yeah. So where does this fall in terms of your own personal efforts on a bike? I mean, riding across country is obviously a pretty yeah. big yeah, that, that's Pretty a huge deal. one. I mean, like Ezra kind of mentioned, I've, I've done some gravel events. Uh, it, it's the same kind of thing. I'm in Northfield. All the local scene is on gravel. So that's pretty much all I ride. And I've, I've done some bigger events. Ezra and I did the dam. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I feel the, like I've heard of that one. The day across Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you get 24 hours to ride 240 gravel miles yeah. across the state. Um, and that was my biggest cycling accomplishment, crushing that and actually finishing before dark was incredible. Um, <laughs> you know, Ezra was fighting for a podium spot and I finished, you know, one of those kind of things. But And anytime you want to ride, you hit me up. Yeah. Ezra, don't call me. <laughs> no, you can call me still. But... I, I, I definitely am I'm with you. I mean, even yeah. when I, I, I try to race or go fast or whatever, it's still like at a lollygagging pace. It's, uh, yeah, I, I'm just not fast. And I don't, I don't get the joy out of it to do it, you know? Like, you know, maybe if I didn't have two kids and two jobs, yeah. you know, may, maybe... You could dedicate a little maybe more Maybe I would be like super fast. Maybe I'd be an ultra athlete. Who knows? Who knows? The sky's the limit. Yeah. But, I, I mean, Ezra lived in Northfield for a while... He actually lived in my basement for a bit. So we, <laughs> we have spent plenty of time uh, riding our bikes together. So I knew what I was signing up for. Uh, 
So I, I've been training in the basement on my trainer all winter long, and it was for the fear of keeping up with Ezra. So I, I mean, my fitness obviously isn't the same as his, but it's good enough and I'm keeping up and I don't know, I'm, I'm happy so far. Yeah. So what is your, uh, uh, y'all are doing about a hundred dollars, hundred dollars a day, uh, <laughs> doing about a hundred dollars a day and, uh, that'll be $3,000 by the time you're done. Yeah. We're, uh, I think our total route 000. is just, just shy of three, but then there's some rest days built in and stuff. So, so yeah, we're, we're averaging about a hundred a day. Where are y'all camping or staying most nights? Yeah. So we've been doing a fair mix of motels as we finds the seediest, cheapest motels <laughs> out, out there. And, uh, and then some camping, obviously most of our camping ends up being at like RV parks. Uh, a lot of them have actually had little spots for, for tent campers and things, but uh, it usually boils down to we we look at the the RV spot and they tell us that it's going to be thirty bucks for this tiny piece of grass and we know there's a motel down the street that yeah, we could probably 50. get for fifty yeah and and so most most nights we stay in a motel it's it's one of those it's like yeah. all right let's spend an extra twenty bucks and just sleep in a bed I did uh, a a podcast that just came out on Wednesday mm-hmm. it was with uh, Miles we did this trip in Arizona and uh, I had mechanicals and my deflated mattress and and some stuff yeah. that popped up and so he kept going on the route i got off the route rented a cd motel across from a prison that should have been my <laughs> first sign <laughs> wallpaper was coming off the uh, wall i tried to turn uh-huh. on like the vent fan in the uh in the bathroom and i shit you not it started to smoke and catch on fire i was like okay yeah <laughs> so I can sympathize. I'm, yeah, this is a great I'm back place. Back on with you, Ezra. Back on, man. <laughs> CD motels all the way. <laughs> yeah, man. It's hard to, especially when you're all nasty on a bike tour. Anyway, yeah. it's like I don't need much, right? And if you're anything like me, you're poor. So you're exactly like, <laughs> accurate. I mean, he lives in a van and used to live under your under your house. <laughs> he went from under your house to, <laughs> to in a van. <laughs> Big improvement. You're going places. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm in a mood today. <laughs> whenever I'm, uh, I've noticed that whenever I'm in a good mood, I get uh, more snarky and more. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I do. I get more. Yeah. You do too. That's all right. You're more snarky yeah. or like more sarcastic yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Good. Relatable. All right. So why did y'all uh, why did y'all stop? I think it's worth mentioning uh, why you're here in Austin. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, the short story is we planned to stop. This in is a Austin. long podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's yeah. let's go the long story. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Tell whatever story you want. <laughs> we we plan to stop in Austin. We've got a few rest days sprinkled in, so um, we were just gonna explore the city. I've I've never been to Austin. Heard really good things about it. Was very excited, um, but I mean, it started maybe a week ago that everybody in Texas was talking. Like, hope you're riding south. Hope you have you're ready to hunker down and and all this stuff about this big winter storm that was coming. And you know, Ezra and I are from the Midwest. We we've seen right. winter. We weren't <laughs> too too terrified. We we even had nights where we're camping and people have come up and been like. You guys gonna be okay? It's it's gonna get below thirty tonight. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's 
That's perfect. That's, Not that's below awesome. 30. 30. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it, it might hit 30 tonight. Yeah, there you go. So we're like, yeah, it's, it's totally fine. We're, we're prepared for this. No big deal. Um, so the day coming in to Austin to meet Stephanie, it was starting to rain. Uh, it was it was the first real rain we'd gone through. There's been some days where it's like sprinkled and drizzled and stuff, but not really affected us too much. Uh, but it was like really raining, and uh, and then we got here, and then it got really cold, and it continued to precipitate, uh, and everything went to ice. Uh, that that's the the moral of that story, I guess. What. Why didn't y'all? Uh, why didn't y'all leave today? Uh, yeah. So we, right. So we had we had a plan. I'm to, curious because I just drove here, so I have yeah. some thoughts on it too. We we had a, a plan to to stop for for a day. Um, <laughs> we just really wanted to be on your podcast, Patrick. That's the real reason. This was all just a ploy to get on the Bikes Your Death podcast. I would have met y'all on That's the road. It. Stephanie also doesn't work uh, tomorrow, so she gets to ride like 50 miles with us tomorrow. Uh, also, okay. looking at the weather app, it was like a real feel of like eight degrees. Once again, we're a little crazy. We're not stupid. Yeah. So could we have ridden today? Maybe, but all in all, it worked out. This is much nicer. Yeah, y'all made it. Y'all made it. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I just drove here from College Station. It's like two hours, which is where y'all are heading, I guess, tomorrow now. And it was windy as heck. Like I was getting blown. Have you ever had to be at 10 and 2 and be be on it? Because there were several times the wind would just push me. Uh, and I, I mean, I drive a refrigerator on wheels, so it's not like aerodynamic. If you drive a van, you you know. Oh, we know. And that was us going into Del Rio three, four days ago. It was eight hours into a headwind out of the south. And it was just... We stopped at a Walmart to get snacks, and me and Ben were both just zonked walking around this Walmart, like chugging smoothies, being like, what did we just do? Because it was really like me on the front pulling for eight straight hours and Ben hanging onto my wheel for dear Dang, life. And we're like, Ben, sucking that wheel. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be behind Ben. <laughs> I mean, at one point, we were crossing this super big bridge over the reservoir, and Ben just pulled around me. I was like, Oh, sweet. I guess Ben's feeling good. I just let him dangle out there for a little bit and just <laughs> let, let him, him know. feel it for a while. Yeah, like just this let him this feel is what I've been experiencing bit. for the yeah. last eight hours. But. That way he can appreciate it more. What kind of van do you have? I have a Ram Promaster 2019. Same as Ultra Romance. Same as Ultra Romance. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to draw out the hair and the beard. I'll get there one day. I'll I'm, get there I'm one day. You. I'm going to get to ultra romance uh, status faster. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's not aerodynamic, though. If you're trying to race, I don't know. I think living out of a van and racing bikepacking races, I think that's the only way to do it. Like, that's I actually honestly, that's that. kind of how I am able to do this trip, how I'm able to do the divide. It's just keep those living expenses super, super low, not a whole lot of responsibility, and you can take time off and ride your bike a bunch. What are you doing for work now? So I am a bike mechanic at REI, which works out really well. REI, obviously a larger business corporation co-op than Downtown Bicycles. So when I leave, it's a lot less of a big deal, right? If I were to ask Tom to take four months off in June, he would laugh at me and be like, no way. When I ask REI, they're like, yeah, you're kind of replaceable. Like, 
go race your bike. So it works out. It works You're out. You're cute. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. I agree with that. I made some major life uh, choices um, in terms of like gravitating towards simplicity and prioritizing living life and being able to do the things you enjoy rather than buying things that just sit sit there or whatever, you know? So, so how long have you been living in the van? So I graduated college right as the pandemic. It sounds so funny. You're like, I graduated college and now I live in a van. Now I live in the van. Honestly, it was destiny. Someone live in a van down by the river. Like I was joking about living a van in college. Like everyone knew it was going to happen. And then pandemic happened. Um, I was again planning on graduating college a little bit early and was going to work full-time at Downtown Bicycles. I just had enough credits to get out of there, um, save some money. The pandemic hit. After a month or two of being kind of lonely in Minnesota, I was like, and also thinking that the world was ending early stages of the pandemic. I was like, I'm going to move home. I moved home. Wasn't exactly sure what I was doing with my life post-college. I knew I wanted bike racing to be a big part of that. And I was like, I've been thinking about buying a van and living in a van for years. And I jumped on it like right before it really took off. During the pandemic, everyone bought a van. Everyone started building out a van. Now it's pretty much impossible to buy a van. So I bought an old uh, secondhand. Um, it used to transport Segways and you know the things that mall cops roll around on. <laughs> um, and I got it for a great deal because the company that was transporting these Segways didn't actually tie the Segways down. And so there's a bunch of like little dings on the outside of the van. And so aesthetically, it's beat to hell Mechanically, it runs great. So I jumped on it, took it home, worked on it out of my dad's garage for about six months. I bought it in July. Um, I was working for my parents. They own a landscaping business. So working for them during the day and then working on the van at night, riding when I can, and then hit the road December 1st and headed west. Wasn't actually sure where I was going, kind of just looking for a bike shop job was originally heading towards Tucson because Tucson in winter, it's kind of the cycling Mecca of the United States. All the pros are down there. And I thought I could find a bike shop job there. Got to Flagstaff. REI had posted a job for a tech the day before I got to Flagstaff and haven't left Flagstaff since. Well, that's where, that's where home base is now. I mean, I've definitely left, but that's where home base is. So yeah, no, that's sick. On your Instagram, it says that uh, you're you're a wannabe professional bike pack racer or something along those lines. Is that is that accurate? I mean, if somebody wants to give me a little money to race my bike, I'm not going to say no to that. I've done the full-on professional thing, and I don't think I would ever want to do that again. Yeah. But, you know, I have like big plans for bike pack racing. Um, my first race was the Arkansas high country race at the end of, that would be, yeah, that'd be 2020. Yep. That was the year that Ted King set the fastest known time. And, um, Andrew yeah, did his crazy, kid. crazy r- ride. Yeah. I had terrible luck, destroyed a tire, ended up hitchhiking off the course on the second day. But mm-hmm. after that experience, I was hooked one of the reasons why I headed west is because I wanted to be able to ride year round. This past year, I did the Pinions and Pines bikepacking race, which is the local Flagstaff bikepacking race, about 300 miles. Came in, was leading that up until the last day, ended up second behind 
Why can I not think of his name right now? Um, Mr. Colorado Yo-Yo. Oh, uh, Jefe Branham? No, no, not Jefe. Um, I'm drawing a blank oh, right now. Stimpy. Uh, Andrew Strimke? Yes. Strimke. Yep. Yeah. Katie, and then Kate and Andrew Strimke. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then Kate was third. So Andrew oh, caught nice. me on the first single track section. And they're both single speed too. Yeah. It was... It was kind of ridiculous. I was on my gravel bike. Everyone else was on mountain bikes, but it really was the first five people were on single speed bikes or gravel bikes. Yeah. We see it in longer races where single speed, you know, Bailey Newbury is a good example. Oh, yeah, Hefe sure. Branham won Colorado Trail last year on a single speed. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely there's something to endurance riding and single speeds if you're into that kind of thing i've never been crazy enough to find out but i like gears i like gears <laughs> they they work <laughs> unless they snap off and then then they don't work okay so what what other ones have you done so then after that one and this is actually how i met stephanie um two weeks later i went up to kansas and did unbound I'd gotten into the 200 through the lottery the year before, but because of COVID, it was canceled. So a gravel race, right? Wanted to do Unbound. Again, terrible luck, completely destroyed a tire, crashed really, well, I got a flat, was chasing back on to the kind of lead group, crashed really hard, got another flat tire, um, and eventually about 100 miles in, just dropped out of the race, got a ride and was trying to get back to the second checkpoint, made my way to a highway where I was waiting for my support person to eventually pick me up. And then Stephanie came by who was volunteering for the race, um, gave me a ride to the second checkpoint. Why'd you say, were you really volunteering? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the way you said it, I, I, I didn't know if she was like a rogue volunteer. Well, Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> she saved me. She okay. saved me big time. So how one of the That's how you met him. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> and then I think we both looked at each other's Instagram and realized that we were both type one diabetics and raced bikes and we're like, cool. Yeah. And so when I was rolling through Austin, I was like, Yeah, I'll reach out to Stephanie and see if I can crash at her apartment. And she was like, Yeah, for sure. So yeah. awesome. And then now you're training for Tour Divide. This year or next year? So I'm going to do it this year. Um, the other race, bike packing race that I oh, did sorry. was North to South Colorado. And that was in September. First year event, 530 miles from Fort Collins, Colorado to Alamosa. What's the name of that event? North to South Colorado. Oh, it's called North to South Colorado. Okay. <laughs> Official title is North to South Colorado Bike Packing Race. Okay. And I won that one. <laughs> sorry i got so distracted by the name I <laughs> i'm like directions and anyway go ahead so you won i won that one yeah finally god I know, right yeah, i was wondering Third time's you... <laughs> the charm <laughs> no man that's uh it, it's cool why what is it about bike pack racing and bike packing in this that that you're enjoying more than you know you said you're burnout on on the road stuff yeah. So, well, one, I, why I kind of lean towards the racing aspect is I still love racing. Like I love riding my bike at any speed, but riding my bike fast is still the thing that like brings me the most joy. One of the things I really like about bike pack racing is it's not just about the pedaling. 
It's also about all the other things, um, the logistics, the planning, the gear. It, in my mind, it's more comprehensive. It's a, like a total effort. There's just like so much that goes into it to be successful where like in road racing, the strongest person definitely doesn't win. But at the same time, you have to be at this level to win. I raced for three years. I did, you know, over 200 road races and crits and I won one race, like oh. one P12 race, um, US cycling category race. And it just was, yeah, I don't know. It's, I just enjoy it. It's just like fun to be out there. It's, it's fun more, to well, like. It's more so, solo, you yep. know, really. I mean, uh, that's what, I don't know a lot about road racing, uh, but I have watched the Tour de France a couple of times and it's, it, it's surprising how much of a team effort it is. You know, yeah. I mean, everybody's playing their roles and uh, you got to carry your, your, whatever your job is. And yeah, bikepacking, man, you're just, you're out there. I mean, it is the exact opposite. If anybody hands you a, a, a tire, then, you know, that's it. You know? yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's the exact opposite. So, yeah, I think a lot of people like bikepacking and, uh, you know, ultra endurance racing for, for that reason, it's a huge puzzle and figuring out a way to get your body, your mind, your bike, your gear, everything, you know, across a really long distance in a fast time. It's, it's a big puzzle. And to be able to put all those things together and, and, and actually like come away with a W is, I have to imagine a w rewarding. I would never experience it, but for sure. I and talk that, to people who do and they like it. Yeah. <laughs> and then also just like the experience of the actual race, right? In road racing, it is so intense that you can be in these incredibly beautiful places. You don't really get to enjoy them, right? You're just so stressed out about where you are in the pack and moving up in the pack and not crashing and making sure that, you know, if you're the designated rider that you are saving as much energy as you possibly can to try to win at the end, or if you are a domestique, you're helping the designated rider. And, you know, the three years, like I had a great time, like racing on the road for three years, but at the same time, there are so many places that I never, like I went there, but I never really saw them. So something like North to South Colorado, like, yeah, you're racing and you're like focused on racing, but you're also only going, you know, 15 miles per hour. Like yeah. you actually have time to enjoy the scenery a little bit more. And you're not just like staring at your power meter for six hours and then going straight back to the hotel and eating lukewarm pasta and getting a massage and then doing it the next day. So it's a more like comprehensive experience, I guess. That's one of the reasons why I love, you know, trips like this, right? I feel like riding across the country is an absolutely fantastic way to see the entire country. I think it's an experience that not enough people have to just like ride through different landscapes and like slowly see culture change. In my mind, this trip, you know, we're riding coast to coast and we start in the West and we ride through the Western United States and it slowly transitions to Texas, which is kind of its own country in a, <laughs> in a way. It's definitely, it's like, own unique identity. And then once we roll out of Texas, we're going to roll into the South and they are going to have a different culture. And it's super fun to just experience all those changes. And, you know, the riding is great, but it's also super fun to stop at little hole in the wall cafes. Yeah. You know, talk part. to the locals, 
all those sorts of little experiences, which you honestly don't get when you drive coast to coast, right? You're like insulated in your car. When you're out on the road going 15 miles per hour, you actually have time to like soak everything in. Yeah. You can observe everything much better. I always feel like, I mean, no matter what terrain you're in, but if you want to know, you know, I, I, I never knew my own city. I, I'm living in the same city where I was born, but I never knew it as well until I started riding my bike around and you, um, I don't know, you see like just the way the city's connected, the way people are, you get to interact with people more. There's just, there's more involvement. You're more involved in um, everything and uh, you're going at a different speed to be uh, a better observer of it. You know, if you're like, if you're driving a car, then you're going the same speed as everybody else who's driving a car. If you're driving a bike, then like you're seeing all those cars or, you know, you're that like difference of speed allows you to um, observe the world in kind of like a different, different way. And uh, yeah, I think it's a per important perspective to have. I've never ridden across the country, but I think it would be really, really neat. I mean, I've ridden like across, I mean, even if you ride across a state, you know, you're going to, you're going to see the different pockets of a wealthy neighborhood and poverty. And like, you actually see way more than if you just like drive your car past it. It's pretty wild. And I think it's like interacting with those communities, right? It doesn't matter if you're riding across the country or just riding across town, especially when you have a bunch of bags strapped onto your bike. Every single person we interact with asks us, where are you going? And that's like a great conversation starter. It's literally every single gas station that me and Ben pull up to and lean our bikes against the wall. At least one person is going to see what we're doing. And once we tell them that we're riding across the country, they're immediately engaged and immediately want to talk to us. And, you know, just two days ago, we had like a 15 minute long conversation out front of a dollar general with some lady who was getting her groceries. And she just thought it was the coolest thing ever that we were riding our bikes yeah. all the way across the country. And then she told us to hurry up and get to Austin because it was about to snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. I don't think enough people know how, uh, that this is even out there, you know? I mean, because if you go bikepacking or bike touring, you're right, everybody wants to stop and talk to you about it. They don't even realize that this is a thing that people do. It's crazy to me. It's part of the reason why I started a podcast. I want to like tell people that you can do it and you don't have to be an Uber athlete, even though apparently, uh, what? I'm trying to give them all the credit, but it's not crazy. I think, I think, yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but I mean, the re the reality is like the world we're living in is crazy. You know, like you work nine, I saw a meme this morning. It was someone posted, it was like, you work nine to five. Like we've been convinced that you work nine to five, come home, watch Netflix, you know, live in a house you can't afford all the, and it's like normal, you know, like this way it's supposed to work. And I think it's good to have as many examples of, as possible of, of living a more intentional life, seeking the things that bring you happiness and living a more intentional life. And yeah, you don't, you don't need much if you're filling your life with things that make you happy and bring you satisfaction and make you feel good about yourself, whatever it is, then, um, yeah, a lot of that stuff can be just like a distraction. Couldn't so agree more. You're the sane one, buddy. Y'all, us, us, all of us, we're sane. <laughs> it's the, it's the other, what is the path? The question I want to ask you is what is the path I can't tell if you're being serious about becoming a professional bike pack racer or not, but one one of the <laughs> one, one of the things I'm interested in talking to people about is what does that look like right now? You know, I mean, it's such a young sport 
and and I, I mean, there are some sponsored riders, but is there a path there? It's not like road cycling where you have UCI and like level one, level three, level, you know, I mean, it's a completely different thing. Yeah. Um, honestly, I feel like I could talk about this for a whole other podcast. Um, you see this in gravel right now um, with this like privateer movement, which is, you know, these individuals who are providing value for these companies that are willing to support them. It's like going away from this like very structured team model or factory racing model and having a small group of brands that you can actually, you know, give value to those brands and represent in a super positive way. Um, I think great examples of that in this area are like Colin Strickland and Payson McCalvin. You know, an example of like sponsors that I think they provide a lot of great value to is like the Meteor Cafe. You know, I posted that I was going to the Meteor Cafe today on my Instagram and a bunch of my campers who, you know, I don't realize that they really pay that much attention to cycling are like, oh, say hi to Colin for me. And I'm like, you know, it's like well known because it's a really cool spot in Austin and in Bentonville, but also because they do a fantastic job like representing that company and that company supports them. So what does it look like? It's, I think it's complicated. Um, and, you know, I know there's people out there who don't like how professional gravel racing is. And I also see that kind of trickling into bikepacking, you know. There's like the Lale controversy with her filming her Tour Divide route and, you know, the money that she was getting from that, you know, is that it's an unsupported race. Let's not get into that whole concept. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, I think there are a few bike pack racers who you at this point would call professional bike pack racers because yeah. there's just not very, yeah, I think you're right. There's a few of them. There's a handful, right? Yeah. Sofian, Lael, Josh. Yeah, James Mark Hayden. Yeah. You know, there's a few guys who like make enough. And once again, that's why I say, part-time professional okay because i well, know i'm never part-time part-time professional right <laughs> i like working at the bike shop i like wrenching on bikes i've worked my entire life i enjoy it but at the same time you know i'm on a shoestring budget i'm living out of a van doing what i can to race yeah 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 i think the whole industry is trying to figure it out i mean it's um it still feels very young, especially in like the professional racing side of things. Um, and I, I mean, as someone who is contacting companies, trying to get money from them in this space, uh, it's, it seems like, yeah, if it's gravel, if it's like a gravel race or something, it's a no brainer. You know, everybody wants to jump on board. Gravel is so hot right now. And part of me is grateful that bikepacking doesn't, you know, I, I don't want to person personally, I don't want, really want to see bikepacking evolve the same way gravel cycling has with, you know, a gravel hall of fame and, uh, you know, it costs $500 to go and, and race an event. And, you know, some of those things I'm not as keen on and, uh, but riding your bike, you know, 2,500 miles, it weeds out a lot of people, I feel like. So like, I don't know if you're gonna if you can do that you probably like earned a spot to be there yeah and isn't that like one of the most fascinating things about bike pack racing specifically is 
almost all the races. There's no entrance fee. They're all organized on Facebook or Instagram. Like most of them don't really have official race websites. And then there's no payouts, right? There's really no podium. There's no award show or anything like that. But at the same time, it's like every year, more and more people are trying races. More and more people are getting involved. You look at the calendar of bikepack racing events on bikepacking.com. Every year, it just gets bigger and bigger and more events popping up all over the place. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's growing. And I, I mean, I think that's good because we're going to see options. You know, we're going to have lots of different types of events, lots of different locations, and that'll appeal to a large audience. So there'll be a little bit for everybody probably. And I think gravel and bikepacking share a lot of characteristics and I think one of the coolest characteristics is this kind of like marathon model of an event, right? Where, once again, I know there's been some controversy with like the Lifetime Grand Prix and the fact that there's going to be, you know, 25, 25 men and 25 women who are competing for this large prize purse. And there's a lot of people who are like, how does this benefit, you know, the person who's just riding the event for fun? And honestly, I don't think it affects them that much, right? Because just like in a competitive marathon, yeah, there's the people out there who are going to be running 205 marathons. They don't really affect your race, right? Like that's the cool thing about gravel racing. That's the cool thing about bikepacking. Unlike in road racing, you get dropped in a road race. You have a miserable time. You're not in the pack anymore. It's not a good time. You get dropped in a gravel race. You're going to have a better time. You're going to stop at the aid stations and drink a <laughs> beer and have whiskey and, you know, eat snacks and hang out with people and make friends. And it's almost like if you want to have fun, don't race, like ride your pace, have yeah. a good time. And like, I think that's why gravel has blown up. And I think that's the same thing with bikepacking, right? Is yeah, I'm going to be at the front of the race and I'm going to not sleep and ride as hard as I possibly can and hallucinate and do all these things to try to win the race because I'm a competitive person. There's other people who are just, yeah, I've got a week to tour North to South Colorado. I'm going to take a week to tour the state of Colorado. I'm going to stop at diners. I'm going to have a great time. So I think there's a really good balance in the space for both things to kind of coexist. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think this thing that scares me, I agree. I, I talk to people who are fast and I mean, every, everyone in between, I don't really care. I think it's, just neat that we're all out doing the same thing. And I think that people should be allowed uh, to experience any way they want to, if you want to go fast, no one should be like, bro, you're going too fast. And you know, on the inverse, so it wants to go slow. That's fine too. But I think the money part is the part that scares me is like when it's, you have larger, you know, corporate interest or larger groups coming together. Uh, it's, it's the money thing that kind of scares me. And it's not even payouts to, you know, athletes. I think it'd be actually cool if, like you rode across tour divide and got a thousand dollar check or something for winning it. Like I don't, that wouldn't really, that wouldn't really hurt my uh, feelings at all, but you know, to have exorbitant race fees and make it really limited and very difficult to get into, you know, that that's an unfortunate part, but I mean, it comes with demand, which is kind of what part of what you're saying is that there's so much interest in these events right now that, I mean, they keep growing regardless of the price. So I don't know. It's pretty crazy. And, you know, with that, once again, I kind of look towards marathons, right? In order to do the Boston Marathon, which is arguably the most popular marathon in the United States, 
you have to qualify. You have to run a specific time to qualify. Is that a way that gravel goes? Or do we stick with the lottery system? Because right now it's, you know, what are your chances of getting into Unbound? I don't know what percentage of people get selected for Unbound, but I think it's a good problem to have. I think it's a good problem that races are so popular and that's just going to encourage people to put on more races, right? If so. you see, like, really, I think that... I think that's exactly what it's doing. I think we're going to see... what well, It's why you're seeing the event calendar. I've had Miles Arbor come and he manages the the event calendar. And I mean, they're overwhelmed and inundated with new events that are popping up all the time. And we're seeing different, you know, my event that I host is hopefully a little bit different format. And there's a bunch of others. I mean, Ragbar is a great example. I mean, it's not bikepacking, but it's a great example of you don't always have to just do it one way. It doesn't have to be, you know, just about being super fast I mean, you get fucked up and drunk and ride hung over the next day if you want to. And, uh, and I think that's, that's what, that's my hope is that what we've seen with, you know, road cycling specifically is how it's so uniformed. Everybody wears the exact same thing. All the bikes are exactly the same. And, um, you know, it's just, it's all so structured and it, there doesn't seem to be any of that. Yeah. Extracurricular activities on a bike, you know, it's like, lose weight, go fast, you know, and that's about it, you know? And, and if you're not, then you're not having fun. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I've never been a roadie, so I'm just kind of, I still love following road racing. It's no, I I just, yeah, I don't want to like admonish any, you know, forms of cycling because ultimately it's bikes or death. So, um, (laughs) but, but I can prefer my, I can have my preferences for sure. I love road racing. I view road racing as like the formula one of cycling. Like it's all about performance. Yeah. No one in Formula One is having a good time. No. High budgets. It's all about speed. It's all about winning. That's the only thing that matters there. Other forms of cycling, there's a better balance between like having fun and, you know, the lifestyle of that comes with like riding your bike. So Yeah. I appreciate your perspectives. You've definitely thought about it and you have um I mean you have experience as a road cyclist. You said you've ran marathons too. I just ran one half marathon okay. because I didn't want to ride my bike. Yeah. Did that half marathon, immediately started riding my bike again. <laughs> I did a half marathon trail run and quit. So I can, I can, <laughs> yeah, that was the last time I ever ran. I had a truck come pick me up and like, it's a, that it's a, it's over. All right, Ben, your turn. This guy is just, he's got a lot to say. Oh, it's, a, it's good stuff, man. No, it's good. It's good stuff. I mean, you've had a lot of uh, interesting experiences and, uh, I mean, not a lot of people have been a, a professional or, you know, washed up professional semi whatever <laughs> uh, road cycles before. So I, I'd like to hear your approach to cycling. I mean, we've heard, you know, a lot about his, but what what is it about cycling or how do you like to approach it? Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah. My, my approach to cycling is much more recreational. It's about having fun. Uh, I ride with friends. You know, it, it, it's that kind of thing. It's a very social, just good time. Obviously, there's the fitness aspect, the health and all that that you gain from cycling, which is awesome. And I hope to cycle my entire life so that I can stay healthy kind of thing. Um, but I'm not chasing any podiums, anything like that. Uh, <laughs> Do you have a favorite route, a bikepacking route where you live or... Um, there's it, honestly, when I go out for a ride from Northfield, I just pull out my weather app, check the wind, 
decide how long I want to ride <laughs> and I just ride into the wind because I there's so, honestly such good gravel in the Northfield area it it's some of the best in the world it we all call it hero gravel because yeah, nice. honestly a lot of the roads are more enjoyable to ride on than pavement because there's no expansion cracks it's just flat smooth hard perfect you can really get ripping if you want oh, to. That's exactly what I said in Oklahoma when I went to Stillwater. Is yeah. I was like, your gravel is way better than your pavement. Yeah. Your pavement is shit. It's exactly. got potholes in it. And mm -hmm. my truck damn near lost a lug nut, you know? I mean, right. Anyway. When I'm headed out of town, the first few miles, I'm just like, man, I can't wait till I hit a gravel road and then there's no traffic. And, you know, it, it's, it's awesome. Uh, so there's tons of routes out there. And sometimes I don't even pick one because you just go and see where you end up kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and if I know I've got a couple hours, I'll just ride for a little over an hour and then turn around and let the wind push me back home. Um, Is it always windy there? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, Man, really? I mean, there there's some calmer days, but it's it's never dead. There's, there's always some wind. Huh. Um, Interesting. I didn't know that. I've never been up there. Yeah, but it, it's relatively flat, um, not a bunch of climbing. I mean, if you head south of town, there's there's enough. If you're not in the mood for climbing, you just go north instead, and it is pancake flat, and no big deal. Yeah. So let's uh, should we talk a little bit more about the route you're on? Uh, sure. How has it been going so far? We haven't really talked at all about right. about the ride, <laughs> about but, the, the but, struggles of this of this tour. Yeah, how's it how's it been going overall? I mean, yeah, it seems like you're on schedule and everything. You're not yeah, stressing we, too much about time. We are on schedule, which has been great. I was pretty sure Ezra was trying to kill me the first week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we we had some big days with real mountain passes on a packed out bike. Um, I. I honestly had never done anything like that. Like, like I said, the hills in my area are short. Like, yeah, dude, you, I live here, so. Yeah, so doing a real mountain pass where I, I remember the first one we came to, we were just outside uh, of San Diego, and Ezra rides next to me, and he goes, all right, I'll wait for you at the top, see you in an hour. I was like, in an hour? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, And you look down, and we're about to do in a – an eight mile climb at with an average of six percent or whatever and like yeah that, that's gonna take me in an hour <laughs> this is crazy yeah uh, at least <laughs> yeah so uh that that was a a wake-up call i guess um just conditions i i wasn't used to was that still in california california was the the first bit um day five is the the day that will live in infamy Oh, tell me um, about day five. Yeah, day five. Where where were we on day five? We camped in Kearney, and then we went to Safford. And again, more backstory, the Green Bay Packers playing in the playoffs. Ezra and I are both born and raised in Wisconsin, so we bleed Packer green and gold. <laughs> uh, so it was very important that we we get home we get to we had a hotel booked cuz we were going for we we're going to be there for kickoff we we're going to watch the packers win you know it, it's all great um, and we started the morning pretty early with a a mountain pass and it it ate me alive um, <laughs> so i we we climbed and climbed and Ezra disappeared of course 
And so we, we finally descend down, or I finally descend down is more accurate. And then we, we turn right and it's just a highway and we're going to ride on this highway for, I swear it was like 60 or 80 miles. It was, it was a big number on the same highway, straight into Safford. And we got punched in the face with a 15 mile an hour headwind mm. and uh, pulled into the gas station where we had agreed to rendezvous. And Ezra's like, what took you so long? I've been waiting here like an hour, you know, that kind of thing. And it's starting to rain and it, it, was, uh, it wasn't looking good. And I do math. That's my background. So I have all this data in front of me on my computer and I'm calculating all these numbers. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to make it in for kickoff at the pace I'm going. Oh, no. I'm, <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to miss the whole entire game. Holy shit. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be out here in the middle of the night and uh, it, it wasn't looking good. I was cracking mentally and physically at that point. It just so happened that uh, another coworker at Downtown Bicycles, a college kid at the other college in Northfield, he was down in Patagonia for a, a break because his classes went virtual for, for COVID reasons. Uh, and he wanted to come and hang out with us. So he had agreed to meet us in Safford. So I called him up and said, hey, I'm going to need an airstrike. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Did he know what an airstrike was? <laughs> no, I, I don't know if I actually used that terminology. That would have been sick, though, if you did. <laughs> Bro, I'm calling an airstrike. What the fuck? <laughs> so he was, a, he was a ways away, and he's like, you know, that, I, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely come pick you up, but I won't be there for two, three hours or something. And I was already broken at this point, but I'm like, okay, I'm just going to keep riding and we'll meet somewhere. Uh, that day, I think Define I- Define broken. I, you know, I- um, Give I was, us the real, the scoop. Right? <laughs> How bad was it? <laughs> I was extremely emotional. Um, just like, I felt so bad from the ride and then- to feel like I gave up was really hard. Um, so it was raining, so nobody knew I was crying, <laughs> uh, which is good. Uh, but I ended up making it. Why nine... put so much pressure on yourself? Uh, you just wanted to do every every segment. Right. I I wanted to because I mean. So today I I posted a a picture of our route, our line, mm -hmm. and there's a break in it, and it still just kills me that there's. It's not a continuous line. Uh, Ezra thinks he's going to get a tattoo after this of the line. So he's going to get a line. And if I got a matching one, <laughs> I'd be like, hey, hey, just, just leave that spot blank. <laughs> Put an asterisk right there. Be like, I'm coming back to that whoop. section. So, yeah, but I mean, you know, I'm like. It was, it was it, a huge day still. Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, you're I doing made it, hard shit. I made it 95 miles. Um, Massive climb. With, with a full-on mountain pass pretty early on. Uh, and then Abraham picked me up at a restaurant and took me the last 30. Um, and then once Ezra knew that I was getting picked up, he, uh, he full on TT'd it and just ripped to the motel, just barely missed kickoff. Yeah. So that's what I was about to ask. What happened with the game? It was the worst football game <laughs> wait, I've did ever you, wait, seen. Did you make it? I mean, so when I, when I got to the hotel, I, I think it was second quarter or something like that. Okay. Um, so 
got to watch most of the terrible, terrible, terrible <laughs> football game where the Packers got eliminated so, from the playoffs. That was just like the worst day so, for you. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was the worst day. Um, you probably cried twice, like once when you bailed, once when the, <laughs> once when the Packers, Packers lost. lost. <laughs> it, it was a rough one. Uh, and then, of course, Ezra and I had to have a heart-to-heart because the uh, the next day on the schedule was going to be worse. It was going to be more climbing than day five was and more miles. Um, so instead of the original route that Ezra planned to take us up to Silver City into the real mountains, we ducked south and hugged the border um, and actually had some a little bit easier days, well, a lot easier days, yeah. uh, which helped me a lot. Yeah. How do you train? I mean, this is something I want to know. I mean, even, you know, Stephanie here in Austin, y'all have hills. Yeah. They all have some pretty steep hills. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I guess this is the closest place I could go to like find a hill to train right. on. Um, but I mean, how do you train for elevation and those big climbs on a fully loaded bike? Exactly. And I, honestly, I really hadn't, at least not. You probably need to start south to west, you know? There you go. Yeah. But I mean, because I, I was on the trainer uh, over the Christmas break. I said, I, I've got to do a century. You know, it's been a long time and trainer centuries are obviously different than out in the real world. But, you know, I, I spent a day on the trainer um, and it sucked and all that. It was actually the the Rafa 500. Oh, yeah. So I'm like, well, might, might as well get that done. Uh, so I, I put in a really big week that week to try to amp myself up. And, uh, and I was on a pretty strict training program on the trainer itself. And before that, I was riding all my group rides on the on the 520 with uh, a bunch of PBR tall boys mm-hmm. slammed in the the panniers because I'm like this is it's easy math. Each yeah. one weighs a pound, so you know <laughs> how many pounds you. And then everybody would give me a hard time. How many how many beers are you carrying today? <laughs> I offered them to everybody. Nobody ever took one. Yeah, I they think- were warm, warm past blue ribbon tall boys. <laughs> Nobody wanted to lighten my load. Yeah, but, man. Um, no, that's a great way to train. Throw some. I mean, yeah. that's what I I did whenever we were going to Arizona. The only thing sure. I could do is put on as much weight as I possibly could, right? And ride my bike around. Just ride your bike. If I could find some wind, I ride into it. But that's sure. about all you can do, right? And that's that's kind of what I was doing too. Yeah. But it still didn't prepare me for the the full on brutal. I, go ahead, Ezra. My bad. <laughs> that was a lot. Sometimes I just. We were originally after Arizona. I was like, oh, let's climb up to Silver City. Like, why not climb up to 9,000 feet? I'm sorry, Ben. You tried to kill your friend. How was it for you? No big deal. It was definitely like hard days. Yeah. Um, But doable. Doable, right? Like, you know, I was, yeah. It was doable, right? We're, we're compromising in different directions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might ride a few extra miles, but honestly, I think it's like after that day, like that heart to heart, I think we found like a really good spot for the rest of the trip. Like it started out just being too intense. Like Ben straight up said, I feel like I'm on a training trip, a training camp right now. And it really was for the first few days, we were like eight hours on the bike every single day. And we kind of just like needed that breaking point for me to just relax a little bit and be like, you know what? Let's go south through the flat part of New Mexico. 
let's, you know, cross the border and go to Mexico for a night and hang out there. Let's start stopping at diners. And I think the day after Safford, we like stopped at our first diner and had, you know, tiny little hole in the wall diner in Duncan, Arizona. No one was there. We had an absolutely fantastic meal and it was just a good reset on the trip of like, yes, I want to ride a bunch. Yes. I want to ride hard at times, but let's find a good balance of having a really good time, stopping and checking out towns, but also cruising miles. And I think for the rest of the trip, we've done a really good job balancing those two things. Riding with people, um, especially like on a longer distance can be a really challenging thing to do to find a pace that, I mean, nobody is usually on the same exact pace, um, as another person. And so I think that can be challenging. I was going to ask Ben, how is it going now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Better. He says it's better. (laughs) No, it, it definitely is. Like, uh, Honestly, the the climbing is what has ruined most of my days that that have turned out poorly. It's just my bike weighs a lot. I don't have the FTP as or has, so like it. It's just I I go slower, especially when elevation gets involved. Uh, but we we did get better. Is riding as a team. Um, I have no shame grabbing Ezra's wheel all day long. (laughs) (laughs) It gives him more work and takes a little, a little less from me. Uh, It helps that balance again. Uh, So it, it, it has definitely gotten better. Well, y'all both knew, right. That you both, you know, each other, you know what your fitness is to extent, you know, your approach, he knows his. And so I assume, I don't know how much you guys talked about it, but probably in the back of your minds, you both knew we're going to have to adjust some, some compromise along yeah. the way is going to, going to happen, you know, definitely. It, it sounds like, um, so what did you, you said a low point. What, what about, uh, what, what have you enjoyed the most, uh, so far? Yeah. I, I think the, the parts that I've enjoyed the most are like when we stop and take in the local culture, like, <laughs> I mean, it's just going to edit to where it says, where we stop. <laughs> when we stop. I'm sorry. No, but, no definitely. We, when we have a long day and we roll through a town and Ezra's just like, we don't have time to stop. I'm like, oh, well, that sucks. You know, we're, when, when we're making good time and we roll through and there's a coffee shop cafe and we're like, hey, want to stop in and get a cup? It, yeah, of course I do. And, and those have been where we have the really authentic interactions with the locals and it's, it, it's a lot of fun. I, uh, resonate with your story. My Arizona trip that I went on, we, it was on the podcast, but miles and I had to separate because on day three, we were going, we were gonna, we were, it was like three o'clock in the day, already 40, 50 miles in and we were now supposed to climb like 20 miles up the AZT yeah. to like 9,000 feet and then come down. And it was the most remote section of the whole route. And we went to a burger joint and I had to have a heart to heart with them. I'm like, yeah, it ain't happening. Right. Bro. Like, and I told him, I was like, <laughs> and I don't, I don't, 
I'm not trying to race. I'm not a, a racer. Yep. I, I have no de- desire to go to the most remote part of this route where there's no resources and give myself Break more myself. in over my head and potentially someone has to come get me. Like that yeah. doesn't sound fun. And so I just had to have a heart to heart with myself. Be like, listen, you go, you're, you're, you know, you're, yep. you're feeling it. You got it. So you go and we met up uh, just the next day. I, I just, went to the base of the mountain he went up the mountain around sure and and we so i mean i don't know but i like one thing i said about that is that if you sign up for adventure don't be surprised when you find it right (laughs) oh yeah like and part of part of the fun (laughs) is these challenges that come up you know and and yeah it kind of sucks in the moment but you know looking back these are these are really um important lessons that like you're learning about yourself and opportunities that you're giving yourself. And, you know, it's, it's just an adventure. You got to figure it out as you go, you know? So your favorite part has been stopping. Got it. (laughs) 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 Oh, uh, what's been your favorite state? Oh, you've only been through three or four. I mean, well, we haven't been through Texas yet. So you're right? in four right now. We're in the fourth. State. Yeah. So yeah. obviously Texas is the best. Obviously, it, that's a a clear one. But uh, well, I know you were talking about the hill country. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to hear. I remember you, uh, Ezra. You you were posting on your Instagram stories about just how beautiful uh, the hill country was. And I'm a lifelong Texan, and I I do like the hill country, but I think it's one of those things where kind of the grass is greener on the other side, you know? And so I kind of take for granted maybe though it's here. And so I, yeah. What, what are you seeing when you roll through? Yeah. So the two other times I've ridden across the country, we entered the state at Texarkana and went across like the Northern half of the state. Yeah. Texas was always the point in the trip where we called it the doldrums where things just got less exciting, right? Like the kids would just get burnt out. And it was like a week in Texas and Northern Texas, not necessarily flat, but not necessarily like beautiful, right? Like we yeah, were just, just through these planes. tiny little oil towns yeah, oil and it towns. was kind of just a grind. It was, you know, get to Roswell, New Mexico because there's like the alien museum and New Mexico is great. I love New Mexico. Coming into Texas, I knew we were coming through the hill country and I was excited because I've just heard, you know, stories of the hill country, right? Like following other people on social media who are living in this area. Um, And it really was like from Leakey, Texas um, through, uh, oh, I don't remember the name of the other town, but through like Vanderpool, Texas, gorgeous. Like there were three different climbs. It just went from the Western United States, which at this point in the year is like kind of mundane, right? There's not a whole lot of live, like even in Arizona, like it's not really green, right? We got there and it was so green. We had just spent a whole bunch of time like riding on like state Texas highways. And now we were on these tiny little ranch roads and they're like these beautiful twisty turny roads and these small Texas towns where everyone is just so freaking nice. Like just, Southern hospitality, Texan hospitality, so nice. On um, that first day into the hill country, we stopped at this little barbecue place and had a brisket sandwich, which honestly was like the greatest sandwich I've ever had in my life. <laughs> like I had to hold back, not ordering another one immediately. And I knew we had a bunch of climbing to do. I just had the sandwich and I was like, this is incredible. And then we 
you know, the climbs are definitely like punchy. And so I would. Can I stop you real quick? Yeah. Or pause you. Um, you mentioned Texas hospitality. I'm curious about their hospitality face to face versus while they're in their cars. Honestly, I don't think we've had any really bad interactions with drivers. Um, we definitely got a few middle fingers, but that was in Arizona. We've got a few honks, but really like people will like cheer, cheer us on, roll down their windows, like give us plenty of space, you know? Yeah. Honestly, like rolling into Austin, we like, we're trying to get cars to pass us and it's like, please pass us. Yeah. And they didn't want to pass us because they didn't want to get too close and they didn't, you know. That's one of the downsides of no people in cars don't know how to interact with cyclists or either assholes to us or they're way too polite or, you know, but a lot of, unless you're a cyclist, I think people have a hard time knowing how to navigate other cyclists on the road, you know, that, and I don't think people know how wide their cars are. I think they think that car too. is like the entire <laughs> lane. And so they have to like cross over the entire yellow line. And I'm like, no, no, you can cross like a quarter of the yellow line, half the yellow line. <laughs> and if you go slow, like, I'm not going to get freaked out, right? If you just like pass us nice and quick, it's great. But they'll wait until there's these massive gaps and then one car will go. And then I look behind and there's just a train of cars. And I'm like, within this train of cars, 99% of them are going to be super chill. Not that big of a deal. It's that 1% of car that's going to be all pissed off. And then eventually they're going to come to us and be like, oh, it's the damn cyclists that are slowing us down. And that's the thing that kind of scares me, right? Yeah. Like leading these cross country trips with kids, you know, you I was, might get blamed when it's, it's, it, yes, you're there, but it's other people not knowing how to pass and yes. how to interact with cyclists. That's really causing the problem, which is unfortunate because I know they're trying to be nice. Yeah. You know, it's like a catch 22. Did y'all see the, uh, the lady, y'all, I'm sure you did. The lady, well, y'all been on your bike, so maybe not. The lady in Arkansas that passed a group of cyclists in her Dodge and gunned it. Yeah, y'all don't know about this. No. I just interviewed them. So this this picture like broke the internet for a day. It broke out of the cycling community. I saw it all over Reddit. It was on the yeah. news. It was on driver uh, websites and all this stuff. And uh, so, yeah, this it was this bike uh, race. I can't remember which one he said. But the lady uh, just, you know, was they were all over on the ride and was gravel road and she gunned it and went around a corner. And then, you know, 30 seconds later, they go around the corner and the lady's like that. And she's irate, apparently. And they like checked on her. And he, he was actually like head as Wolfer um, Wilderness First Aid or whatever that is. Um, and uh, so he like went and checked and she declined to be helped. And so he's like. So I took a picture, <laughs> but we were talking about that's one of the very few times uh, we're used to seeing shitty behavior in cars, especially towards cyclists. But that's the only story I'm ever aware of where there's some instant karma for that. You know, usually, I mean, if anything, man, people just like get away with shit. It's like you get, might get a ticket for failure to control speed, but no matter, you just hit somebody. Anyway, I'm glad that Texas drivers are being nice to you honestly everyone has been majority nice like we have not had any issues knock on wood but it's yeah. been good and that's awesome i think that's also like just being a like a responsible cyclist too right it's not riding in like the middle of the lane when you don't need to right it's recognizing that cars also have places to be and really like rolling into austin like there was a big transportation truck 
And it was clear that the driver like wasn't comfortable passing us. And I looked back and it was a line of 20 cars. And I was like, Ben, let's just pull over to the side of the road, right? Mm -hmm. We're touring. We're not in a big rush to go anywhere. Yeah. And so we just pulled over to the side of the road. He gave us like two honks, waved at us, passed by. All the other cat cars passed by. And then we continued on our way and it was great. It was, Love you know, it. very friendly interaction. It's like we want to be good representatives, right? I appreciate it's, that. Yeah, we were just talking about this on that other podcast. Uh, it hasn't released yet, but if we're assholes, then we're kind of representing the whole cycling community. And so what you said about taking the whole lane, yes, your entitlement. Yes, you 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 have the right For to sure. be, be there. Assertive. If that's the safe thing to do, like do it. But, but at the same time, yeah. also recognize that you're on a tiny little bike and they're in a yeah. massive... Just, it's just courteous. Yeah. We, we would like the drivers to be courteous of us and we should be courteous to them and let's all like figure this out because nobody wants to get hit or have bad interactions with cars. That's that's a losing proposition. Share the road so goes both ways. I appreciate what you said and uh, we were just talking about the same thing is when you're out there, you're representing cyclists. So when you do something good like that, they're going to remember like, oh, okay, well, maybe they're not all assholes or whatever, you know? So I think, yeah, I like that perspective for sure. Do you all want to talk about diabetes? Sure. Let's talk about diabetes. Let's get Stephanie we, in here. Do we want to? Do we want to hop over to some diabetes talk? Enter Stephanie Hall. All right, take the mic. We've already heard from Mr. Ezra. Uh, wait, <laughs> no, no. We've heard just the right amount. But it's your turn. All right. Um, my name's Stephanie. I am have been in Austin for about a year now, and also type one diabetic. Let's start there because okay. I am a, a dummy. Is type one you're born with? So you're not usually born with it, although some people are or diagnosed like very young, but it's known to be like autoimmune. So it could usually you hear of people being diagnosed like in their teenage years um, is usually when people generally are diagnosed. There are people who are diagnosed later in life, but usually if adolescent is like the traditional age of diagnosis. So when were you diagnosed? Um, I was 13. Okay. Yeah. So right. In so there. I was, yeah, very traditional you, diagnosis. What about you, Ezra? Just when were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed when I was 11. Hmm. Interesting. All right. What? So do you know, is there a reason why it's that time of, um, maybe it's puberty. I bet it has to so, do with your body's like changing. Maybe the part of it that is like the autoimmune reaction is your immune system, um, attacking your pancreas and your islet cells. So your immune system obviously attacks when you want it to, you know, against like some virus or something, but it could also attack when you don't necessarily want it to. Mm. And so um, usually caused by some sort of, you say you get really sick, you know, around that age. So maybe like your first serious illness could be caused by that. So I've only... um well, I've known, I've known more of it, but when I was, I was in college, my upstairs roommate, he was a type one diabetic. And one day we, uh, my room and I heard them wrestling upstairs. And so we just went upstairs to like, I don't know, hang out. Mm -hmm. And we walked in and they weren't wrestling. He was on yeah. the floor having an anaphylactic shock or in so, anaphylactic shock? Yeah, probably like a seizure a situation. Seizure okay. Yeah, not necessarily, yeah. Okay, thank shock you. Shock of some sort, but seizure. No, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't really know. So I, <laughs> yeah. feel free to correct me. Yeah. But yeah, that was the first time I saw 
the dangers or, mm-hmm. you know, one of the symptoms of diabetes. And it was actually really scary. Yeah. So I, I'm lucky. I usually uh, can like feel my low blood sugars and I've never actually gone to that state. Um, but likely he was like in a low blood sugar state. So low blood sugar is a problem immediately um, if you don't eat something and high blood sugar will, will eventually be a problem. It's kind of a problem short time. Like you feel like crap. But it's not like an immediate problem. Mm. Say if like you're racing, obviously you don't really want to race with high blood sugar, but life happens also. But yeah, low, low, but he was probably in a low blood sugar state. During COVID, I think, well, during COVID, but the first year, 2020, didn't you find out you had some kind of medical thing where you figured it out yes. and it like yes. changed so, your life almost, yes. it seemed like. Yes. So I like, <laughs> now I'm like <laughs> very adamant for everyone to get blood work done if you have like the resources and healthcare to do so. Um, I went to a regular endocrinologist checkup. I had been a lazy diabetic and hadn't gone, gotten blood work done in a while, moving and such, whatever, and uh, got the blood work back and um, get a call, sent it over to my sister, who's a nurse and uh get a call from my sister and she's like where are you and i was like i'm at work i'm in a meeting and she's like i don't know how to tell you this but like you potentially have cancer and like red blood cells white blood cells um hemoglobin everything was like messed up and so which is an indicator of possible cancer yes yes so her patient population is usually like a lot sicker than me and so she's used to like analyzing blood work but looks from sicker patients. So um, I called my doctor and she was like, you need to go to your PCP, which I don't have one. Now I do. Or you need to go to the hospital to get a redraw. So I ended up going to the hospital, got a redraw. It confirmed. Biggest concern was hemoglobin, which mine was 7.1. Around 7 to like under 7 is when they'll give you a blood transfusion. Um, So they offered that to me. I was kind of like, now, nah, like I've been up and walking around. If I'd been like passing out, like if say your hemoglobin would drop fast, you'd probably pass out at that level since I've been walking around like that. And I had had, um, honestly just like really frustrated on the bike a lot, just never feeling really great. Resonate with Ben's story about crying on the bike. Uh, <laughs> cause that definitely happened multiple times, just getting dropped by everybody. Uh, no real explanation. And then, so you feel like you're putting in a lot of effort, effort and just and not, not get, seeing it. Yeah, any. and then I got uh, four treatments of IV iron. Now I take iron like daily. And that seems like it was it. It seems like there's no big health problem. It seems like I just like slowly became really anemic. So I'm really thankful, obviously, that it's not wow. anything bigger than that. But Were you mad immediately, at your scary sister for scaring you? Immediately. No, her concern was valid. So like the, okay. the stage after that. So it was more be, like she just wanted you to take She care wanted of me it. to know like how serious things could possibly be. Yeah, and without knowing like what's going on, it, it was in the realm of possibility for sure. And then after that, I started, honestly, that like fueled my addiction for like racing and riding because I felt so good <laughs> like <laughs> like so so good yeah. um and yeah ever since then it's like I've loved racing so much it's so fun like I was always a competitive person I was just like really bad yeah <laughs> and like well I didn't know you were bad I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I'm like yeah that's what we're on the street but then to see like see all this like hard like hard work and then see it kind of yeah. like start to pay off I mean, instantly addicted. Yeah. So, and weird. Austin also 
has helped fuel that addiction because it's such a race-oriented bike community. Yeah. What's it like? Talk about that a little bit. Austin cycling? Yeah. Um, and what, yeah, what the community and riding is like around here? So, I mean, I'm still like pretty new uh, to Austin. There's a little bit of everything for sure. Uh, it's definitely the most amount of bikes I've seen in a city, any city I've lived in. I was near D.C. before yeah. that. You can find any type of riding. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with like the driveway, which is the weekly oh, yeah. crit series. I've been one. Yeah. Time. Yeah. So that fuels a lot of, um, I think, Austin's like race community as well. Um, it's. I feel like there's more women's teams in Austin than there is probably a lot of other places, which is really, really cool. Speaking of women teams, didn't you just get picked up by Ultraviolet Racing? I did. And I distinctly remember listening to Joe's podcast with you i was picking up a prescription uh in a hurricane actually on my bike and was listening to her podcast it was like i remember it so distinctly because everyone was like what the hell are you doing but um <laughs> i was gonna ask the same question <laughs> <laughs> but her her talking about her talking about it um but that was like the first kind of introduction and i was like yeah that's some shit i would love to get behind um yeah. but there are a lot of other good teams in austin too and what, the community what has does really Violet do? Uh, I think I saw them up at they, Tulsa Tough doing a yeah. crit race. They do all kinds of... The group is mixed. Um, so there are some people who are planning on not racing a ton this year. Um, there are some other people who are planning on racing more, doing road. Um, I've actually never roast, raced a road race. I have my first one. Well, we'll see how that goes. Um, but my goals this year more like long races so like the east texas showdown like the east testi testis testicle showdown <laughs> <laughs> that just became a new event <laughs> let's just call the race what it is <laughs> a testicle showdown yes and i <laughs> i'm committing myself to ride through the night so that's like my commitment have you and uh, i'm trying to talk people into riding through the night so yeah how's we'll that going see. it's going well um my top people to talk into my sister alicia who's on the team who was on the podcast and kyle who was also on the podcast so are they all registered i hope so <laughs> i think i'm pretty sure i don't know who's i'm pretty sure they are yeah, yeah i yeah. know you are um yeah, I don't know. There's a hundred people, so I can't really keep track. <laughs> I haven't even looked, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I know who I know who some of them are, but I, I don't need, need to go through. Alex Maldonado, I don't know if he's doing it again, but if he is, he might be another candidate for me to talk into. So we met um we met at the Bikes for Death uh spring camp out yes. in twenty twenty one, I think. Yes. Was that your first bike packing trip or No. You, okay. Yeah. Okay, I totally thought I, you were a rookie. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So when did you get into bikepacking? I was just kidding about you being a rookie. Oh, you're good. Um, like the past year, pretty new. Okay, um, so been, it wasn't, yeah. It wasn't, yeah. I've only Was done it? a few trips, nothing ever long, um, usually just like overnighters. So the East Texas Showdown is going to be your longest one? That will definitely be my longest, yeah. But I I'm excited. am also planning on you know, like with the no sleeping aspect, it is a bike packing race, but also I don't, don't I'm not, I don't plan on packing like it is if I'm planning on not sleeping. So yeah. we'll see. Well, that's, I think I mentioned that on Instagram when we were chatting about it, but that's why I like the shorter distance because if, if you're new to bike packing, it's more accessible. If 
you're faster and that you're in that group where you want to find out, you don't have to take anything yeah. and you can just take, you know, yeah, you just yeah. roll through, uh, towns, grab whatever you need as you go and, and go pretty light and you could knock it. I mean, the, I think some fast times are, are really available, but yeah. obviously we'll not, yeah, not raining is gonna, is gonna help. So we'll see. What are, what is your, do you have a goal other than not sleeping? Um, so I think 36 hours because of unbound cutoff times. I think that's, that'll be my goal. So that's, uh, I'm not going to try to do math in my head. <laughs> <laughs> like, like 11. So it's like 11. It's really, it's really doable if you think about it because it's like 11 miles per hour. Yeah. If you, I think if you, you go faster stop, though. I think you go faster is what I was going to challenge oh, you on. Well, 100%, but also then you have to like stop right a little bit at some point and restock or stuff but that's just like a good like yeah at least 36 like a mark hey you do it whatever time you you want <laughs> i don't care i mean if you yeah i haven't even written the whole thing i keep uh wanting to go out there and and do it and yeah. i haven't that death loop though <laughs> <laughs> i love that death loop so i know that death loop from prison city i don't oh, know is if it you've part done it? prison no. city yeah it's uh february 26th Okay. I'm going to go out there and do that race as like, it's a 60 mile, mile gravel oh, 60? race. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The death loop was just a result of having to change the route um, from, mm -hmm. there was like a road that wasn't very safe. And so it just, it just kind of worked out like that. And I wasn't too sure about it, but after the first year, I absolutely love it because you can, you sit out there and you get <laughs> to spectate everybody and they ride past the bullet or they get sucked into the bullet and they never leave. And so it's it's kind of a, a fun test like towards the end. Like, are you going to do the last 40 miles or not? <laughs> so it'll be fun to, fun to find out. So speaking of the diabetes, how does that like impact your racing and riding and stuff? Is it just like not a big deal? I thought I actually thought the medical stuff, you, the iron deficiency was more about your diabetes, but apparently... A lot of people with diabetes also have other autoimmune issues, which I do. I don't think that uh, anemia was related to, like, anything else. I just think it was, like, another problem. Um, as far as riding with diabetes, I always feel like that's kind of a interesting thing to answer because I have a hard time knowing any different. But generally, like, if I'll go out on a ride, the first hour is kind of, like, when your body decides like, okay, what's, what are we doing? Like if I'm going to go low, it's probably like within the first hour. And then after that, I find that I usually can like study out, um, longer stuff. I feel like. So how are you managing definitely that? Have to. <clears throat> Just by eating? Are you watching your numbers? Yeah. Yeah. So I wear a continuous glucose monitor. Um, but the one that e sticks in your side. Yeah. Ezra is not wearing a CGM, which I riding across the country. I have no idea. Okay, well, how that's him. possible, <laughs> but, but, uh, it's like very expensive. And if you don't have good insurance, it's, it's a luxury. Um, honestly. So how does, how does it work? It sends your blood sugar to your phone like oh, every wow. five minutes, but it's like a needle and then a cannula inside. And so when you insert it, the needle comes out. So it's just a cannula. You don't feel anything. Um, and keep like one on for like seven days or however long it's. You have to stick for. it in yourself. Yeah. It's not really painful though. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, I've kind of gotten over my <clears throat> phobia of that. I used to think it would think it would be like pretty wild to do it, but I've given myself some stick and poke tattoos and 
I uh, <laughs> I tried. If you can do that. It's yeah. like not painful. Yeah. When I did, uh, I did. I tried. Uh, uh, what is that? Hormone, hormone therapy, hormone replacement therapy, or whatever. Oh T- no, testosterone. Yeah, testosterone. TRT. Y'all know. Y'all aren't old enough. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, when you get older, you have to. You're supposed to inject the testosterone in your ass because you are not producing it anymore, or something. And so now that I'm an old ass, I, I started doing that. I didn't even notice a difference, so I stopped. But I had to give myself shots. You heard this first here. Patrick is doping. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel it impacts it, but it it also, I mean, I should be eating anyways um, (laughs) during a race. (laughs) So So you're you're just watching the numbers and you're like, okay, I got to eat something. Yeah. So the kind of unfortunate thing is like, I'm not on a pump. So say I'm racing and I see my blood sugar is going high. It's like, do I just keep racing or do I stop and take insulin? And it was just a quick endeavor, but would require like chasing back on. So that's kind of the one thing that I haven't really quite figured out. And then also. So you take insulin and you have to inject it? Yes. Yes. So every time you eat basically is the easiest way to think about it. And then a long acting insulin. So there's a couple of different ways to manage type one, but the way I manage type one is with long acting insulin and then short acting during mealtime or if my blood sugar is high. But I can't like occasionally say like a crit race, it's like really exciting. Like your adrenaline is really high. Yeah. I might actually see a spike in blood sugar, which is also interesting and annoying because if you don't know which way it's going to go, it's like a crapshoot. Really? So you just have to kind of put in the effort and then you see, see where, yeah. I mean, that really only happens if I'm like crit racing or like from the gun, just like, just so excited and then it again within an hour it usually like studies out one way or the other. So oh, interesting. Yeah. You're gonna find out what kind of day you're having after the first hour. <laughs> what kind of rider? I see. I I'm following you on Instagram. So I you're I mean you're always out riding. It looks like you've got some good gravel routes and you're putting in some pretty big days. What kind of riding are are you doing? A little bit of everything. Like my personal favorite is like exploring new areas. Soon I'm going to kind of run out of that without like driving. Um, <laughs> but yeah, a little bit of everything. When I was training for uh, Rad Dirt Fest, I was doing like more fun, adventurous stuff. Like I biked from this apartment 130 miles to an Airbnb and then, you know, stayed the night at the Airbnb. So yeah. I th- honestly, I think that's also another reason why I am really excited for longer stuff. Like, the long training rides, I generally like love long training rides. I yeah. love planning them, um, figuring out like new places to go. So I'm really excited. Yeah, I, I agree. The long, I used to try to think I wanted to be fast uh, back in the day. And then I tried and I was like, that does, I'd rather go slow and, you know, uh, camp at night or whatever. What What's your next event? Oh, um, Prison City. Okay. February 26th. Uh, Lago. Road race, fifth and sixth. I think that's it. And are th- those are all with, uh, or both with uh, Violet, ultraviolet racing? Yeah. yeah. So how does that work? I've never been on a team. Do y'all just say it's a good like. a question. I'm still figuring that out. Okay. <laughs> just like, hey, I want to go race this one. Do you want to race yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of I mean, like race, just, these just are get all, some people on the same. Yeah. These are all like really early season races. Yeah. So especially like the gravel stuff. Like I'll put something out on Slack and be like, hey, you know, who wants to come? And right. then sure enough, like one or two people, Alicia, um, Nat Cab, Joe, like almost half the team rides gravel. 
So I really can appreciate that and usually can convince someone to go out or someone who I'm friends with to go out with me. So now that you're not anemic, uh, what are what are your goals with with cycling and racing? Like, how seriously are you pursuing that kind of stuff? Um, we'll see. Like road road racing, I think. I, I mean, I would at least like to be cat three by the end of the year. Maybe do one USA crit is kind of what I'm saying right now. The, unfortunately, like the the one that's like the biggest party that I would like to go to is Tulsa, and it's the weekend after Unbound XL. So oh, wow. do it, <laughs> do it. It's the ultimate double Unbound straight into Tulsa. Love it. Yeah, then we can podcast about it. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Yeah, so we'll I'll see. be I'll be at Unbound this year. Okay, sweet. Yeah, um, working. Okay. Yeah, uh, Kuat hired me to go and sweet like cover the event. I don't know what. Have I'm you doing. been to Unbound? No, never. Oh, been. Okay, it's such a party. So I volunteered last year best decision ever like we're talking about how hard it is to get into all these races if someone wants to go to unbound you should absolutely volunteer like you have such a good interaction with all the other cyclists there are so many shakeout rides and good riding to do out there i mean you'll have like you have to volunteer for eight mm, ten hours i think but you i mean you still have plenty of time to go ride riding is like great out there you still go to the expo i mean i feel like the only reason why i chose well, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why I was like, I'm okay with doing XL and like almost missing all of that this year is because I kind of got the whole other side last year. And then this year I'll, you know, go miss almost everything. And just Are you doing XL this year? Yes. Oh, wow. How hard is that to get into? The XL? Yeah. Is it not as hard as the other ones? Um, I have no idea. You just know you because, got in? <laughs> <laughs> well, because, so if you volunteer, oh, that's where, yeah, yeah. That, I guess that's where yeah. I was going with that. If you volunteer you get automatic you pay for your entry still but you get entry in for the next year so okay cool yeah i mean if anyone like really wants to go and has bad luck then you should go up with your friends who are racing and then volunteer yeah that's that's a pro tip i i don't i've only done one race and so i like i don't know much it's weird that i host a race because i don't know what i'm doing and maybe some ways that's good because i'll just do it however i want to and you know like i'm not too worried about trying to like do it the exact same way but i on the other side there's some things i could learn like hey have volunteers but give them a free entry next year like that's that's a pretty cool tip yes yeah ezra do you want to talk about diabetes sure Steph and I would like to know, how did you, (laughs) we want to know how you're doing with your, so you don't use a device and you're riding across country just all willy nilly. So I don't currently have a continuous blood glucose monitor. So what I do is I prick my finger multiple times per day. And so I just get not like a continuous line of blood glucose numbers, but just sporadic spots. Oh, you're building like a you're like plotting a graph essentially with your blood. Exactly. So really with touring, my blood sugars are usually pretty stable and pretty solid. Um, Honestly, the issue I ran into last year, especially with North to South Colorado, is the intensity of racing. And then I think it's up to like, there's 30 different factors that can affect your blood glucose. And one of them that's like pretty severe is sleep deprivation. And so the first night of North to South Colorado, I didn't sleep at all. I just rode through the night and then next day. And then that second night, I got two hours of sleep. So not a whole lot of sleep there. 
And with a race like that, I'm usually expecting my blood sugars to constantly be plummeting, right? Because the two things that can kind of bring your blood sugars down are insulin or exercise. Those are the two main ones. And so with that much riding, I was expecting my blood sugars to constantly be going down for me to just eat a lot, right? And I was eating a bunch. And on that third day, my I just, one, I'd only slept two hours and I was day three of riding. My blood sugars were kind of out of control. They were super high. At the same time, your sensitivity to insulin changes based on how much you're riding. So throughout this trip, I started with what I the amount of insulin I take normally. I won't get into the numbers, but just like a normal everyday amount of insulin. And throughout this trip, I've had to cut back on that amount of insulin just because I am exercising so much and my body is very sensitive to insulin right now. At the same time, last night when I was taking my basal insulin or my long-acting insulin, which is an insulin that lasts 24 hours, I brought that number up a little bit because I knew I wasn't going to be exercising a bunch today and it was going to be that second day. So my body is a little bit less sensitive to the insulin, which means I need a little bit more of it. For the divide, for my racing this year, thankfully I have better, better health insurance, one of the perks of working at REI, and I'll hopefully have a continuous, I'm not, not hopefully, I will have a continuous blood glucose monitor for the divide or otherwise my mom won't let me do the divide. <laughs> Maybe your mom could buy you one. <laughs> <laughs> They're very expensive. That's how much. How much are they? Without insurance, you know. Steph, do you know exact numbers? So, like the transmitter is like what goes into it, and then the sensors you have to buy monthly. Both run about like seven hundred dollars. So you'd be looking transmitters every six months, seven hundred dollars, and then the sensors would be probably like seven hundred dollars a month. And then you got to pay for insulin too. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So it, it definitely adds up. <laughs> yeah. Diabetes is a super, super expensive disease to have, especially if you don't have insurance or you are underinsured. Um, it's honestly a major issue, which Congress kind of bats around the bush, like talking about making insulin more affordable. But yeah, there's a whole lot of diabetics out there who are severely underinsured, who are paying for their diabetes medication and equipment out of pocket. And it's not really talked about a whole lot. Yeah. Those are the kinds of things where like more of a universal, I don't know enough about universal healthcare, healthcare in general to have like a firm opinion, but if you're born with diabetes, you know, it's kind of like, all right, let's, let's make sure you have what you need to just be a normal person. You shouldn't be, dealt a bad hand essentially you know it's like okay sucks to be you but now you got to do x y and z and you're gonna have to pay a lot for it and like, that's a bummer it's pretty horrifying in the united states that we have people who will literally go to canada yeah. to purchase insulin and then bring it back to the united states because insulin is affordable in canada in the united states we just talked about how much a cgm costs a month's supply of insulin if you're buying at retail is like $2,000 a month. Jesus. I don't know a whole lot of people who can afford $2,000 of anything a month. If and this can, is a life you'll have healthcare. Yeah. If yes. you can afford it, you know, you'll have. <laughs> and this is like, this is not a medication that's optional, like exactly. optional, right? Yeah, this is a medication this. you need or you will die. End of story. Like you have to have the insulin. Yeah. That, this isn't your fault. You know, if, I don't 
know, if you fall and break your arm and you go to the doctor and you need to get an x-ray and all this, okay, well, yeah, maybe you should pay for that, you know, but if you're just born with diabetes, that's, that's a bummer. Just like one quick thing. The other thing I was going to say is like the cool thing is there is like good technology that's coming out. The gap is like CGMs, for example, a lot of the reasons why insurance won't properly cover it is because it's not necessarily needed like the standard it's not yet part of like the standard of care and so they can get away with not covering it or not properly covering it so like even i think even me it's been a while but usually you have to go through like a prior authorization process to kind of like prove that you need it when it's like clearly anyone who is type one would benefit greatly from having one even though yeah i can prick my finger as many times as i want today but it's still not going to be the same care but their insurance companies can say oh well you could just not i don't know enough about insurance companies really to have an informed opinion (laughs) other than i really don't like them that's the only thing i'm really (laughs) sure about that's fair (laughs) i was just someone else on instagram another cyclist uh was uh just posted they had a broken hand and he had to go get a second opinion before the insurance company would pay for it because he had a fucking, it's like, my hand isn't going to get better in a week while I go get a, you know, it's like, no, it's broken. You got to fucking fix it. It's crazy. Sorry. Tangent. For Ruff Schneider, right? <laughs> it's That's Kurt. His, what? That's Kurt, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Kurt. Yep. Yeah. I actually forgot who it was at first thing, but yeah, that, that was Kurt. Uh, so one thing I was thinking about to ask you, Ezra, was like, and I was thinking about this while Stephanie was talking, is that um, is like ultra endurance racing or even like these longer rides, is it, is it more doable with diabetes versus like road racing where, I mean, you can't like a crit race, you can't take a break. Is it just always shitty? <laughs> I think it's a little bit of a give and take because with a crit race, you're done in an hour, right? Okay. So, okay. you know, honestly, you can race a crit race with a high blood sugar, right? Like I've done my fair share of, you know, finishing crits and finishing road races with not great blood sugars, a low blood sugar, a lot more difficult. You can try to eat as many gels as you possibly can while staying in the pack, but you know, well on Novo, it was a legitimate reason to fall off the back of the race and not perform at the level, you know, you're capable of performing because your blood sugar is low. Obviously, that's something you're trying to address before the race, and it's something that you learn about as you race more. With ultra-endurance racing, it just gets a lot more complicated because you're out there for days, and it's not like, oh, I'm going to be done in 90 minutes. Like, it's fine that my blood sugar is 300. When your blood sugar is 300 and it's like, I have another 150 miles to ride, you kind of have to address it right there. So it definitely adds some challenges. Well, I, th- I think this is a great thing to possibly talk about. I don't have diabetes, but people that are listening that have diabetes and want to go ride, you know, hell, they could ride a hundred miles and sleep overnight or a thousand miles. Any tips or any, any advice for, and, and maybe we can ask both of you, like how you manage yours on these longer trips that maybe help some other people to, to manage theirs better. Yeah. So I guess my main tip would be like testing in kind of two forms, right? It's like testing your blood sugar is so, so important because if you don't know what your blood sugar is, then you don't know how to, you know, respond to it, right? Which would be either high blood sugar, take more insulin, low blood sugar, eat more food. And so really when I'm racing, it is part of my 
like routine, when I pull into a gas station to get a resupply, the first thing I do is test my blood sugar, right? Because just based off of that, if my blood sugar is high, I might pick different foods in the gas right. station compared to when my blood sugar is like low or kind of trending low. I'm going straight for, you know, the sugar, right? The good stuff. And then an, I guess another form of testing would be like build up gradually, right? If you are a type one diabetic and you want to do the tour divide, you should probably do some shorter races before you jump in the divide to know how your body is going to respond. You kind of need to like gradually build up the number of days, build up the number of hours you can ride continuously without sleeping and see how that sleep deprivation like affects your blood sugar and just kind of develop all those routines. Um, one really cool thing, a little divide history is a type one diabetic has won the divide. Um, Brian Lucindo, Lucindo, Lucindo. I don't know. Won it in, I believe it was 2017. Um, he has a blog with a great blog post about it and talks pretty openly about everything he did on the divide. You know, that's a great resource. Yeah, or honestly, great, if you have questions, reach out to me or Stephanie. Once again, we're not medical professionals, <laughs> but I feel like between the two of us, we have a lot of Wait, experience. None of us are medical professionals? What? And Stephanie's the one working in biotech. So she's more qualified than me. Yeah. Yeah. And she has type 1 di yeah, diabetes yeah. too. So, um, but that's like one of the things that I love doing is, you know, not giving medical advice. But just like sharing my experience yeah. and also showing that you can be a type one diabetic and not just like do these events, but be competitive in these events. And I think Team Nova Nordisk has done a great job on that. And, you know, I'm doing my own thing now, but I love being able to do that too. Just, you know, anytime, you know, any of my mom's friends, kids get diabetes. Like I love talking to them. Um, I know Stephanie the same way. She recently like helped diagnose a young girl with diabetes. Like someone sent her a message with these symptoms and Stephanie was like, you need to take her to the hospital right now. Blood work. Exactly. <laughs> Blood work, testing. It's like, it's not hard to just get a simple finger prick and see if your blood sugar is elevated, you probably have diabetes. Dude, you've never taken a kid to get a shot before, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> that is true. He's like, it's no problem. Just take them and shove them. No, uh, I, know, I know what you're saying, but kids always overreact but i yeah overreact but really it's better to it's just like better to get them know. to do it some way it's rather than have them be oh, walking sure. around with a blood sugar of 700 and go into diabetic ketoacidosis and that whole can of worms yeah no for sure i'm just talking shit uh you're diagnosed with type 1 diabetes what is the general like sense uh and i guess what i'm trying to understand is you're you're you you said like Team Novus was an example and you're trying to be an example and, um, of, of being able to accomplish, you know, whether you want to race or go long distances with type one diabetes, is, is it kind of like a, like when you get it is the, is the, what am I trying to say? Like the, like the stigma of the, the disease. Stigma, that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. What is the stigma that, that you have to overcome? That's what I'm trying to ask you. Thank so you. it's changed a ton in recent years, right? If you were diagnosed with diabetes 50, 60, 70 years ago, it was almost like a death sentence, right? Like the technology was there. The insulin that we take wasn't as good as it is now. 
and really that's it's all kind of changed within the past 20 30 years where type 1 diabetics have been able to compete at super high levels and have been able to do pretty much any job out there there's still a few jobs you can't be like an airline pilot and take insulin um there's a few jobs you can't be in the military and take insulin i guess insulin. that makes sense you don't want someone to have like a no okay I, I, no i i don't know why i should immediately have an opinion <laughs> i'm driving vehicle i'm i that's a good point I'm basing it off of when I that that visual image of seeing my friend on the floor and and like thinking about that guy driving a but we'll we'll talk about that in just a second. I'll let you correct me. <laughs> yeah, so it's really, you know, showing that you can pretty much do anything with type di- type 1 diabetes. Yeah. And be successful with it. You can have this disease and live a really really high quality full life and you don't need to like limit yourself. So it's a disease, an autoimmune condition. I don't, I don't, I don't know, know the exact yeah. terminology. I, I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm, j- I just, I'm, I'm not sure if disease is actually the proper term for it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Again, none of us are doctors, and this proves it. <laughs> I, I think back to the the point of like the stigma too is if you think about the age that most people are diagnosed, like in young teens, and like even younger than that, like they're under the care of their parents. And so I feel like oftentimes it's a lot of parents worry projected onto children for good reason because of your friend that you saw like passed out foaming at the mouth. And I think I, I, I think that's where some of it comes from. It comes from like parents worry of, you know, oh, I don't want my kid to go like exercise for, you know, six hours because, you know, I'm worried about them passing out. But yeah, I, I, personally, I think that's where some of it comes from. Well, no, I mean, which which um, highlights the importance of having examples of people yeah. and and why. Again, I, I'm a dummy, but I know <laughs> I know it's important to you. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. I know you well enough to know that it's and I followed you and stuff. So I know I know it's important. <laughs> yeah. I know it it impacts your life. Um, I talked to Eric, who's yes. a type one diabetic, and. And I, I, I mean, there's a whole team around. So I'm, yeah. I'm aware enough that it's, like, I know that it's, it I know it's important. It. I know yeah. people are really, um, and, and yeah. And, and you know, this podcast I hope can be, you know, a resource for people. Yeah. And if you want to go bike packing, if you want to go tour across America on your bike, I want to unlock that yeah. for, for people. And if, if people have diabetes and they, they're feeling like, Oh, I can't do it or I'm struggling, then I, yeah. examples are great. I, I, yeah, I think it's just, like constant experimentation like yeah. for anyone so your, who wants to do tips. something is yeah. like just just constantly go out there and just see see what happens like to Ezra's point test don't just go out there and see what happens and be like oh I survived it you know like <laughs> figure out like d- did that work I took that amount of insulin before you know this race like did I hold steady did I fall off you know mm. like what happened um is there is there a safety net there? Like, um, so when you're talking about testing it, obviously you don't want to go in and yeah, you know, have a bad experience. So how? I, I guess everybody's body is different too, yeah. so that makes it complicated. So essentially, just I don't know, usually, start somewhere. <laughs> usually, people like consider like under sixty low blood sugar, and I guess this advice, like the one caveat, is if you are not on a CGM and you also do not sense your low blood sugars that that would be like the one person i might be concerned about um but i mean pretty much anyone else like 
you would know like when your blood sugar is low because you feel like absolute shit and stop, you know, and eat something. Um, okay. But yeah, I feel like you just yeah, that would suck if you, you just can't gotta feel do. It. I mean, you just gotta do it. Like there, there's no other, there's no other way. It's just you gotta fi- figure out like what works for you. Um, it it's like, like anything else have, in life. I guess. Like, I mean, yeah, you can read have, a book like, or whatever. Probably really bad days. Um. For no reason, like th- that's the other thing. You could do everything right that you did before, and for some reason you're stressed out, or for some reason, you know, it's insulin's a hormone. Um, so say, yeah, as a fe- that up my ass, as like <laughs> not in my ass, in my ass. I mean, like okay. as as like <laughs> it's all the same, isn't it? Well, <laughs> it's the was, same thing. <laughs> I was gonna say as like as a, as also like being female, like there's you know, other impacts. So it, there's just so many things that impact it. So if you do everything you normally do and it doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go, it's like not beating yourself up about yeah. it, which is very hard, especially if you are, you know, wanting to go out and race and be like really competitive. It's hard. If you're a competitive person, it is really hard not to like beat yourself up. I would say. Yeah. I, uh, I relate to that through anxiety. I used to, whenever I was trying to race, I would get just, well, I, I've had anxiety like my, for a long time. It's under control now, but like, um, it, it was so frustrating because I wanted to do all these things and I was having panic attacks left and right. And, um, I couldn't, couldn't do what I want to do. I'm like, I'm not tired. I'm not anything, but I can't, you know, do it. And it can be very frustrating to, not be able to participate in the thing that you really want to do, you know, it's yeah. And especially for something like that, that's like out of your control. What you got Ezra? Oh, I just wanted to say, I think one of the coolest things, especially about like riding bikes and exercising and doing whatever you want is how much it does help with your diabetes yes. management. Uh, that's I think that's point. just, that's it's point. a super important point, which once again, that's one of the things that's kind of changed in the past 20, 30 years is managing your diabetes, one of the treatments is exercise, is being super active. And honestly, like if you have a doctor and you're a type one diabetic, who's like, oh, you're a type one diabetic, you shouldn't exercise, go find another doctor because there is still some like very old school mentality out there. Mm. And hopefully that will continue to change. But like I've heard stories of people being diagnosed with type one diabetes and they're like, Oh, my doctor says I can't do this. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait a second. Maybe you shouldn't jump right back into running an ultra marathon after being recently diagnosed with diabetes. But if you build up to it again and work with your doctor, you are very capable of doing once again, almost everything. A few jobs that are excluded, (laughs) (laughs) but pretty much anything that you would want to be president of the United States and have diabetes. No, I think you can. I think you can. I'm pretty sure you can. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Like one, one other thing I was going to say is like, I mean, back to the point of like, I don't know any different type of thing. Like they're definitely really good takeaways. I feel like I've had from being type one and like riding my bike a long distance. Like, I mean, bonking you know like people feel like a lot of people don't know their body well enough until they're like in this like deep hole that they can't get out of but i feel like if you're type 1 diabetic i mean low blood sugar like you've probably been bonking like your whole (laughs) for many many years like yeah you might you might know like a little bit better so i mean this is edge really (laughs) like i know my body so well (laughs) but yeah i mean just having that curiosity to those folks that 
are type one and like want to go out and race or ride their bikes, like you should have that curiosity. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely people doing it. Ride your damn bike, people. And message Ezra and Stephanie <laughs> on Instagram for all your medical for advice. Non, non medical <laughs> advice. Message uh, Kayla. <laughs> I don't even know if she would endorse that. But. Uh, uh, yeah. We, we won't put her on the. Uh, we won't put her on that much of a spot, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, what's what's next? So y'all, you're riding to College Station. Oh yeah, I'm gonna ride out but with you're, them. You're gonna ride, yeah. We'll see how far. So what, what's the plan for tomorrow? What, what are we doing? Wake up, ride. What time? Um, I'm ready. Put me in. <laughs> Probably. I think we were talking about like a sunrise ish start. Seven thirty. Yeah. Great. Um, I'll be sleeping. That'd be nice. <laughs> That'd be nice for me. <laughs> yeah, That'd we'll see cold. how long I go out go out with them and then turn around and come back. So you're just going to do an out and back. Yeah. Yeah. That's the plan. Yeah. So you're hoping to do a century tomorrow. At least. Yeah. Oh, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a little like, I mean, stir crazy cause we've been yeah. stuck. So, yeah. and the weather, uh, go ahead. I am so excited for Stephanie to pull those first 50 <laughs> miles. I am just sucking wheel tomorrow. No shit, It's going to be great. We're going to have a little train. Stephanie breaking the wind. She's not going to have any shit on her bike, so. Navigating us out of Austin, and then me, and then Ben. Hey, I might let Ben take second wheel. This oh is going to be a dream. We're flying tomorrow. <laughs> We're going to be in College Station real quick. You're going to, you're like, I'm, I'm leading us into Florida. You can at least get into the College Station. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stephanie's going to be on a non-loaded, uh, she'll be on her gravel machine, I assume, that specialized carbon, fast-looking bike over there. Yeah, she ain't going to be fucking around. <laughs> Y'all be having a hard time keeping up with her. Actually, it'll be interesting to see. We'll see how... Uh, oh, we're sprinting to stoplights. <laughs> it's it's going to be great. We've got Ben to film. <laughs> Wait, Ben's carrying the beer cooler. <laughs> So, and then you're going to stay at my house tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, someone needs to feed, you, feed your cats. I know. Yeah. What do you think? Should I trust them, Stephanie? I think so, yeah. Yeah. They haven't messed up anything in your house yet? It's been no. three days. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been here to supervise them, but me, I'm just like, here's the key. You know? <laughs> I'll see what kind of condition it's in when I get home. Sweet. And then to Florida. It's easy. When are, when are y'all scheduled to be done? Oh, I don't know the exact date, but today is day 17th or 18th. Today is day 18 of the trip. And so we'll be there in 12 days. Um, we're Sweet. still on track to do it in 30. So this episode will come out on the 16th. So I, I was thinking people could like even that. Maybe I guess they could follow along on Instagram, maybe a little bit. And, uh, but, and then also you, know, you can listen to it while you're writing. You can be like, nice. Like, as you're writing, if you need something to listen to, you can listen to yourself talk about I'm a few episodes back. behind on Bikes or Death, so I got to catch up on that first. I'm like five episodes behind. I'm not keeping up. Only five? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. I'm a fan, Patrick. I'm a fan. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know why anybody listens, but they do. <laughs> no, man, I appreciate uh Yeah, this has been fun. Uh, what else? Anybody else want to chime in? Anything? I, I'm I'm good. I talked about everything I want to talk about. Okay, I got nothing else. I think I'm good. All right. I think I'm good. All right. Well, let's just drink some beers and get fucked up then. <laughs>
<laughs> get y'all a nice hangover for tomorrow. That'll be my goal. <laughs> I'm not riding tomorrow, so my goal is to get y'all shit faced. So you That's regret- why we went with beer and not whiskey. Yeah, like I want tomorrow whenever you're riding and remembering today for it to linger. I want wow. you to feel the effects of this day. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, I uh, wish you luck on your bike tour. It was great to meet you. Thank you for, uh, yeah, meeting up with me, man. It's always, every time I see anyone riding the Southern tier or anywhere kind of close, I'm like, if I can, if I can snag an interview, it's just, it's just always cool to just catch up with, with folks. Um, I was talking to my editor of, um, actually I have two editors, one of my editors yesterday and he was asking me about like, I don't know. Do, do I ever interview people and they're kind of boring or, you know, does it not go too well or whatever? And I'm just like, I'm like, nobody does this kind of stuff. Nobody lives this lifestyle and also boring. <laughs> you don't live in a van and, you know, ride your bike across country and you're also boring. So, you know, I feel like I could walk into any conversation with somebody doing this kind of stuff and they're going to be interesting, you know, and y'all, y'all didn't disappoint. Y'all made the cut. We're st- we're still there. All right. Thanks, everybody. Wow. Two out. Two and a half hours. Wow. Bye, everybody. Good stuff. All right. That's it for today's episode, folks. Again, want to extend a shout out to my new friends Ben and Ezra as they come to a conclusion on a successful tour across America. Ben, don't beat yourself up too hard about that little segment. Uh, man, it says a lot about you that you're able to to pull through, you know, start out rough, uh, obviously mentally, physically, emotionally, kind of, you know, having a little bit of a harder time, but um, being able to push through, make it all the way in, super proud for you and excited for you. And uh, Ezra, looking forward to seeing what you do out there on the tour divide and uh, let's not forget Stephanie for uh, turning me on to him, hosting this little chat and also sharing her experiences with type 1 diabetes. Excited to see her come to the East Texas showdown and uh, see what she can do. I know that she's, um, yeah, she's trying to rally a little group to go hard with her. So we have to make sure they're not drafting. That's a joke. Just kidding. But don't don't draft. <laughs> Next week's episode is going to be an Ask Me Anything with yours truly. And I'm going to be recording that one with actually Matt Mason has stepped up and offered to um, to ask me the questions, which is great because I can't think of anything more miserable than just sitting in my house talking to a microphone by myself, much like I'm doing right now. You know, but to do that for an hour, two hours, or 10 hours, however long this episode is going to take, it just sounds like torture. And so I'm stoked that Matt's going to come on and, and actually ask me the questions. And I think that'll uh, make it nicer, uh, at least a little bit more enjoyable for me. So, well, it's also worth mentioning, uh, just a uh, little FYI. You may have heard on uh, on today's episode, I mentioned that when we recorded that one, it was my birthday weekend and the weather was shit, so my plans got canceled. Well, tomorrow, Connor and I are headed to Big Bend to do my yearly, I, I call it the Big Bend Birthday Bash. And if you wanted to throw in another B, you could call it the Big Bend Birthday Bikepacking Bash. 
but that would just be excessive. So uh, tomorrow we're heading out there to do that. I'm excited because the weather is looking excellent and we're not only going to be bike packing, but we're going to be bike rafting. Uh, Connor and I both got uh, our own pack rafts and we have been kind of itching for an opportunity to go on a trip with them. Um, but one thing about pack rafting is you have to have good water flow. And um, yeah, so you're kind of subject to when the water is good. And last year, what we did is we created a, a route called the Rio Grande Revival that hasn't been published yet, even though um, it, it should have been by now. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry about that. But Part of that route, we incorporated a hike up to Mariscal Canyon, and it's basically about 1,800 feet down to the Rio Grande River. So this year, what we're going to do is actually ride a portion, you know, it's on the river road. We're going to ride to like Tally. You either ride to Solus or Tally. Um, I get those mixed up, but you ride to one of those, you put in a big bend, and then it's a 10-mile uh, pack raft through Mariscal Canyon. So it's going to be really neat to last year have hiked up to the very top and then this year get to be at the very bottom and float through it. And uh, got to be honest, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. So should be a really good trip. Uh, haven't even come close to started packing yet. Um, I think that's what I'm going to do starting about now. So wish me luck and... Oh, one last thing for my patrons. Uh, I think a couple episodes ago, I mentioned that I was going to be uploading an interview where I was interviewed by a master's of journalism student. Um, I believe he's at the University of Oregon. Um, he's doing some kind of class project and asked me, asked if we could hop on and he could ask me a couple questions. And uh, I mean, it turned out to be like an hour and a half long conversation and I'm going to share some snippets here to just give you a taste of what that is, since it is, you know, technically behind a paywall for uh, many of you, you know, give you a sample, a little taste of, of what that conversation is kind of like to see if you, if it's worth maybe a dollar, a dollar a month. So I really enjoyed the conversation. We, we kind of broke outside of bikes or death mode a little bit because, you know, it, it was just a different forum kind of. And I found that I started going to different places and yeah, I think, I think it adds a little bit of context and color to me and my approach to a lot of things. I mean, we, we, we get, we just go into a lot of different stuff. We touch on a lot of different things. And if you're interested in knowing a little bit more about me, that is probably a good resource. Um, I think, you know, it's kind of in line with the ask me anything episode that we're about to do as well. I think some of those things will be crossover, but, um, yeah, we'll see. I haven't recorded that one yet, so we don't know exactly what it's going to be. But if you would like to check that out, I'm going to, going to be uploading that now and making that available to patrons. So if you're a patron, get on over there, check it out. And I would love to hear your feedback um, specifically on would you like to hear more content like that? And my idea would be that basically I could talk about anything, but that type of content I would only put out for patrons. It would be kind of 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you if you do listen to this interview with him, one thing that I mentioned was how sometimes the format of Bikes for Death is limiting. And I don't mean that to diss Bikes for Death, but obviously there's a lot of topics in the world and my curiosities and my interest, um, believe it or not, I have more than just bikes and the outdoors. That's number one. But man, there's there's just a lot of fascinating stuff. There's a lot of fascinating people. And, um, you know, I think it would be fun maybe to throw in some of these conversations just from time to time. Um, you know, one idea I had is that I live in a university town and I, I know quite a few professors. And I think it would be interesting to just you know, I mean, they're teaching the minds of tomorrow, so to speak. And uh, I never went to college. So it would be really interesting to just sit down and pick their brains, uh, kind of like from an explain it like I'm five perspective where you just, uh, you know, because I'm a dummy. I'll just go in and be like, wait, what? You know, like, oh, my gosh. And I just imagine myself being blown away and interested and uh, or maybe I'll be bored. <laughs> Uh, maybe I'll just uh, go back to only talking about bikes. So who knows? Anyway, listen to that episode uh, and give me some feedback. Let me know if it sucks, if it's good, if you'd like to hear some more kind of stuff like that. And uh, if you're not a patron and you want to check that out, it's at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Thanks. And don't forget to go ride your damn bike. Gosh, dang. Sit around on Instagram all day. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels weightless. Your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes for death. Bikes for death.